two buttons. Red if you're on YouTube, purple if you're on, on Twitch. One thing I want to talk about real quick is we are also on all the audio platforms as well. You should see it in this graphic here. Literally, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio. If you guys listen to podcasts on a platform and you notice we're not on that platform, hit me up on social media, email me, whatever. It, it, make a comment on the YouTube. Let us know because I want to I wanna make sure that we can have the podcast on the audio side wherever you guys listen. I also have some announcements to make. I'm super excited about this. Um, last couple months, I've been super hard at work uh, trying to get this album done for you guys. And uh, the people who are going to get first access to this, I put the link right here. That's going to be the people in the Patreon. So make sure you guys are aware of that. Go to patreon.com slash Jared Singer Live. You get first access to everything as we start doing some cooler and cooler shit this summer. As well as bonus content, discounts on merch and stuff like that as we start to roll all that kind of stuff out. So make sure you go there. That's where the biggest supporters, if you've already subscribed, if you've already done that and you want to step it up a notch, you can join for as low as three bucks a month. It's not a lot of money, especially with inflation going up. I didn't raise my prices. Still three bucks a month. And there's a couple other tiers in there too if you really want to go crazy. All right, we got some ad reads we got to make. Let's get this done. This episode of the podcast and every podcast, every podcast we do here is sponsored by Tone Vault Audio and Media. Tone Vault Audio and Media was formed as a recording studio business by musicians in active gigging bands. Doing work over the years in multiple facilities as well as in a mobile fashion, simultaneously while playing in live gigging bands, the Tone Vault staff has developed the experience to know why quality, performance, and longevity of cables is important as well as the demands needed for a great go-to top-of-the-line product for all your professional project needs as well as live music application. We tried all kinds of cables, and of course we have our favorites. They, however, tend to have a price point that's not so favorable. So we decided to craft our own and make it a little bit more wallet-friendly without sacrificing quality. We use these cables ourselves for our studio and music projects, and that includes me. My entire drum set is wired up with these, and we're currently in the process of re rewiring the entire podcast studio. They offer a lifetime warranty with a 30-day, zero-risk, money-back guarantee. If you don't like them within that first month, just return them. After that 30 days, it's a lifetime warranty, just like any of the other big names. 24-karat gold contacts, 99% uh, oxygen-free, you know the deal. They're absolutely phenomenal. Extravaganza listeners can also use the code 15SINGER, that's 15SINGER, for an extra 15% off any purchase. So go to www.tone-vault.com slash JSE and join the Tone Vault family today. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Marco V Cigars, the official cigar of the Jared Singer extravaganza. In 1909, an Italian immigrant named Victor Vito landed on American soil. Despite only having pennies to his name, Victor smoked a cigar to honor his pursuit of opportunity and success. Starting with that first cigar, tradition was born. In the Vito family, cigars came to represent pride and accomplishments and optimism for the future, and they still do. More than a century later, Victor Vito's great-grandson Marco honors his heritage with Marco V Cigars. Marco and his team's commitment to quality, flavor, and construction have established the company as a premier boutique cigar brand. Every step in the Marco V cigar making process is shaped by a drive for perfection. Farmers in the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua tend to their crops by hand, and the planting, harvesting, and curing are carefully guided by Marco V's tobacco experts. Dedicated research and testing have resulted in a leaf that cures with a rich, complex flavor flavor. Each blend is aged for years to enhance the tobacco's deep natural sweetness, and every bale is inspected six times before the cigars are rolled by hand, never put through a machine. 
Quality still comes from the hands of the artisans. After a final inspection, the cigars are packed and shipped around the world. Overseeing the entire supply chain guarantees that every Marco V cigar yields the perfect celebratory smoke. Victor Vito's 1909 cigar represented pride in himself and his achievements. More than a century later, Marco V honors Victor's legacy with the highest quality cigars on the market. Create your own tradition, salute your achievements and your successes with Marco V cigars. Exclusive for Jared Singer Travaganza listeners, just for you guys, same deal, baby. Go to MarcoVCigars.com and use checkout code EXTRAVAGANZA15 to get an extra 15% off of your order. You can order my personal favorite, which is their Palladium, or you can order what I'm smoking on right now, which is their Maduro House Blend. Extremely affordable to begin with, and y'all get another 15% off this motherfucker. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Bud Ingram Lyle Photography. Bud is a photographer specializing in working with bands, both on stage and off stage. His goal is to catch those special images that reflect the dynamic nature of live music, catching badassery since 1886. He also does portrait work of all kinds, photographing solo models or groups in a studio or on location. And yes, you can afford him. Okay, does all of my work. Extremely great guy, very easy to work with, extremely professional. Go to www.bilphoto.com now and book your photo shoot today. Book's out about 60 to 90 days. So whenever you're listening to this, just make sure that you understand you can't book him for this weekend's gig, you guys. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Shooter Lube. Yeah, baby, we're back. Shooter Lube's back, baby. Two-stage cleaning system, military-grade cleaning solvent. The new technology has you cleaning your gun better than ever. Our solvent is designed to penetrate deep into the metal, cleaning carbon buildup in less time than other leading solvents. The extreme weapons oil, that's the second stage. Standard gun lubricants and CLPs are outdated and a thing of the past, you guys. With the new cutting edge technology, we're creating a new level of protection and lubricant. Unlike other gun oils that just sit there on the surface, extreme weapons oil penetrates deep into the pores of the metal. It forms a bond on and in the metal that does not wipe off, wear off, melt, or evaporate with heavy use. There's free shipping on orders over $50 within the United States, and there's a 100% money-back guarantee on all items. So join the revolution by going to www.shooterlube.com and use promo code SINGER to save 15% at checkout today. Audio not yet. Boom! We are live. We are. Cheers, Jack Swagger. It's nice to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you. I appreciate you me. very much for coming down, um, especially so last minute. So to explain to the viewers, tonight we were supposed to have... Oh my God, what's going on with my fucking mic stand? Your claw uh, has a mind of its own. Tonight we were supposed to have... Uh, well, actually, it was supposed to be a midday podcast. We were supposed to start at about 1 or 2 p.m. And it was supposed to be me and Larry Roberts from season two... And season four of Alone, I, he, I can't remember what seasons he was on, but he was on two seasons of the TV show Alone. And he, uh, he hates being in the city so much, with, which I totally understand because it sucks mm -hmm. down here. Um, he just couldn't do it. And, and we're still trying to figure it out. Um, Larry, if you're watching this, buddy, um, I have an idea. I want to see if I can come to you. We've been talking about doing mobile podcast. Oh, hold on. Let me do this. There we go. Um, we've been talking about doing mobile podcasts for a while. Um, so call me. So we can figure out logistically, I want to do that anyways, 
and you might as well be the first one I do it since you're in Minnesota. Because yeah, we uh we have the opportunity to go down to Texas and do Mike Singletary, go down mm. to Florida and do Corey Fuller. These are NFL players. Get out to L.A. and do uh, Tesla and the Deftones through some buddies of mine that I know out there. Which cool. I actually just saw the Deftones. Hashtag. Oh, they're great. Love. Hashtag not impressed. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Oh man, well, I, was, I saw I was it a few years ago and it was one of the most epic things I ever saw in my life. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you guys are probably all right. And I just don't get it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's. I gotta... saw one like a special night. You ever see a band like on like a really, like you can just tell it's like it's never gonna be that way again. This I was. Saw... This seems like it was one of those nights, dude. But in a bad way. For no, you? in a good way for oh. everybody else. I think I just okay. don't get it, man. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't think it's like fucking. It's not for you. No, it's like everybody has one of these bands in their mind where they think they're great. And your buddies just aren't into them. And, yeah. and we all just go, it's okay. You just don't get it. Like, mm -hmm. it's you're just not on that level or they're not on your mm -hmm. level. Like, right? Everybody yeah. has. So I got a, like Metallica. Okay. Yeah. I got like two, maybe three friends that are like, can't stand them. Think they're terrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Cause you just don't get it. It's just not your vibe. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. it I, you're not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you just. I know, and I think that's the Deftones for me. I just don't get it. Like, I'm just not on that level, dude. Um, not, a, not a hardcore Deftones. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know what it was about. Maybe it was when they came out um, versus when they got popular versus what I was into at that time. Because I've also admitted this openly hundreds of times. Like, literally, um, I may just not be ready. That's the other yeah. thing. Is like, I don't like music for a long period of time. And mm. then all of a sudden, out of nowhere. You switch. I do that too. I'd be like, dude, I'm super into these yeah. guys now. Who's that for you? Oh man, um, like who are you into? First of all, who who's popular that you just don't get it? Because the Deftones is one of those. It, it comes in waves. Um, gosh, that's a good question. Like a, a buddy of mine said, Steve Miller Band. He's like, I I, yeah, I, I just I don't get it. That. I don't understand it. I don't understand what you guys think is so dope about like Steve. To Miller. me, it's like it's like. It was Casino Rock 30 years ago, you know, and now he's... So what's that, the band that casino, you don't get? I'm in my 60s scene. <sighs> There's a few of them. Um, the, I, you talk about coming up, like, at certain periods of time where you just didn't get it. Even I now, think for me... At any point. I came... I, but, like, the weird thing for me was, like, I came up when it was, like, you were either into, like, that, like, wave of, like, kind of, like, garage, like, kind of rock, that crop of bands that kind of came out at that time. Or it was like that crop of bands with like the Deftones and Corn. You know, I never, I never understood that band to be honest. Corn. I wanted, yeah, Corn. Like his, I mean, I don't want to call it butt rock because there was some good bands that came out of that scene, but I don't know. Just like that heavier side of things, which when I was a kid, like seemed a little more fake to me than like kind of the the more like scrappy bands that obviously were kind of the next. You know the kids that grew up listening to Nirvana or whatever or punk rock, but I don't know. Yeah, because you're a punk one kid. Of those. You're a punk kid. I, Were you always a, a punk kid? You know, I, that's like the debate. Is like I was punk, but like a certain side of it. I w I didn't have like a mohawk or anything. I liked like the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. Like I I like did my homework when I was in like elementary school basically, and like found out about all those bands. But there was also like the contemporary stuff. Like I was saying, like. I came up and I was really young and like you see the strokes for the first time or the, you know, Jack White or the White Stripes or, um, 
the hives i remember when the hives came out and they were this kick-ass swedish band and just like just like they all wore like matching outfits like they were a new wave band but they had just like this killer fucking guitar riff that just you know sawed the fucking earth in half so i don't know i was like i want to be that <laughs> you know but uh yeah i i guess i didn't get a lot of those bands that came out at the time i was res- I, I fucking them. forgot to update the thumbnail i'm sorry jack that's a that's a slap in your face, man. I apologize, dude. I just saw it. I made. I wanted to make sure the thumbnail or the YouTube was working, dude. And oh, so okay. I looked it up on my phone. I was like, let me just double check it's up on YouTube. Yeah. And it's fucking. It's the last episode's thumbnail. I didn't. I made one. Oh, I just okay. forgot to put it on YouTube where so it says we, episode one thirty eight with your name. Is this take? Two? I'll just change it later. I'll fix it later. It's. Just, I just feel bad. Like I feel like I disrespected you. I know no, you don't feel good. that way. You're a pretty cool, dude. I've. We haven't known each other very long, but I can already get that vibe. But I just noticed it. I'll call myself out for it. Fucking, <laughs> it's, 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 an, it's an amateur move. It's all gravy, man. We're rolling with rolling with what we got here. I always fuck something up every single podcast, and the viewers know this because oh, we joke about this every lot. day of my life. Every podcast, I fuck one with. thing up, and it's usually never anything devastating. But and I even think yeah. I joked with you about that. That's my thing. That today it was the okay. thumbnail. I forgot the fucking thumbnail. It's funny, dude. It's so funny. I just can't ever fucking... We joked about this. I can't ever do a perfect podcast. I always fuck something up. It's great. Like you said, it gives you something to strive for. Yeah. It's kind of that ability to know there's always room for improvement. No matter how much you think you're on it, there's something you're fucking up. Do you, The real question yeah. is, do you have the ability to self-evaluate, self-criticize, and self-improve? Yeah. And I'd like to f- think I can. Yeah, I agree. I would like to think I could as well. It sucks when you like find out like way later. You're like, damn it. Like this little switch that I could have flipped that made, would have made it this much better. Or I don't know. But you do find out like even like like with like this video stuff. I do a lot on that end. I kind of grew up doing a lot of video work. I wanted to be like a film kid before music kind of started taking over. But uh, yeah, like. Just like even like the rates that like, okay, this is best for YouTube or compression rates or like file sizes like, and you're like, damn it. So does that mean like all my previous videos are just like, they could have been better, but right, right at the same right, time, dude. it's, I don't know, it's punk rock. Most of them were from sweaty live shows anyway. So maybe I'll restore them someday. Maybe right. I'll figure out a way to make them HD. I saw a video where they did that, where they like took old videos. I don't know if it was the Beatles or like a really old music video. And they were like now restored in HD, and it kind of did like the before and after, and it was like doodly doo, you know. Sure. And it was just like, oh my god, that looks fucking sweet. So, you know what the most impressive version of that I ever seen was? Uh, mm. You know they do those old like World War One and World War Two videos, and the guys all like like they're walking all funny, yeah, and, like yeah. their toys and shit. Yeah, well, they were shooting the at a higher frame weird. rate. Or, yep. They were shooting at a lower frame rate. Yeah. I think they were shooting at like 12 frames per second or something. Mm-hmm. We play everything at 24 now. So they're all like slightly sped up. Yeah. Well, they fucking. They, it was a look of the time. Yeah. yeah they restored the film, uh, played it at 12 frames per second, and mm-hmm. colorized it. And bro, it was legitimately cool. mind blowing. Like it, it, Interesting. It, it completely changes the context of all of those old World War One and World War Two videos. Yeah. And yeah, they're it adding color. A little oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's wild, dude. It, huh. it it completely changes how you how I looked at those videos. It was it was pretty intense, man. Um, but you're in a band called the Soviet Machines, which honestly I think is fucking hilarious. First of all, it's a great band name. 
but the timing and what's going on in the world right yeah. now, I think is hysterical, especially the timing of you coming on this podcast, because oh, I yeah. am not quiet. I am not <laughs> a subtle person. Like, I've been pretty... I'm getting to know that, and I, I'm not either, so I think that's why we, we vibe. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, like, I've been pretty vocal, so I think it's fucking hilarious. Where did the band name come from? Because it's obviously not a brand new thing. This band's been around for quite a while. Yeah. Where'd the name come from, and how did the project start? Um, so I started this band in high school, my senior year. I met these couple of kids who wanted to just make some punk rock in their basement. And I was like, oh, sure, my buddies Marcus and Luke. And uh, R.I.P. Luke, I miss you, man. But... Uh, yeah, so they were a little bit younger than me. I think they were like freshmen when I was a senior. And they were just these scrappy kids that loved punk rock. I fell in love like with Marcus right away. How had, old are you now? I'm I just turned 33. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, this um, is 15 years ago. Almost. Yeah. Or it was 2006. So Yeah, so basically 15 late, years ago, yeah, 14 15 late years. Late 2006 ago. we started the band. Nice. Okay. And we just played we just wanted to be annoying, you know? Like we just wanted to be like loud and annoying. And then we started getting into like Marcus was the coolest probably 14-year-old I ever met in my life. I met him when he was about 14. He had a record player. He liked cassettes. He knew punk rock. He knew all the bands. He was cool. We played Tetris in his basement. Like, he was just cool. And you were like 18, 17, 18? I was, yeah, I was 17 going on 18. So rare to find somebody that, because three years at that age is a dramatic difference. It is. And I didn't fit in with, like, because I had, like, moved to Apple Valley end of my junior year. Just because I liked the school system better, and like I was a Woodbury kid, but I didn't fit in with like the rich kids. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to act. I liked art, and they were. Right it was just very not that. It was a lot of rich kind of yuppie kids. That's fair. But I went to Apple Valley, and like the garage was popping, and like bands I, you know, friends I had, like were in bands playing, and I wanted to do that. And so I remember there was like bands getting signed out of that high school. I remember dropping Daylight back in the day. What was their original? Generis, whatever they got signed as. Um, but I was like, all right, this school fits me better, and I should have moved a couple years ago. But um, yeah, we started the band, and I think we just had a, na- a list of names, and I think I was in like a history class, and they said something about a Soviet machine, and I just like, that was like in our list of like 20 names. And uh, they all circled it and said, that's our name. So I was like, all right, we'll go with it. And, uh, God, our original look was so funny. And so like, we would all wear like black pants with like the white shirts, like fucking like craft work or something. And like, we had like red, like duct tape and everybody would have like that on their leg. And there was like a yellow. So it was like sort of a uniform, but not a uniform. It was cool. I think that's the best. If you're going to do coordinated shit, Mm -hmm. I really think that's the best way to do it. Like everybody, yeah. I, I was in this band called Solace and Ashes, and we were a brutal metal band, not okay. death metal, not metal core. Brutal metal. We were just brutal. Like we were metal, but we were fucking brutal. I want to hear what brutal metal. Sounds it wasn't like. even like I'm not even trying to like genre it. I'm just saying yeah, we no. were just fucking right, metal, well, but it was brutal. Like okay. we there was no fuckery going around. Yeah. We were fucking heavy we were trucking. Yeah, we weren't death metal. We weren't that heavy. Yeah, and we weren't metal core. And we weren't fucking uh, gent, which was at the time it was like Midwest hardcore is what it was called. Interesting. Um, we weren't any of those things. We were just a straight up fucking metal band and we were fucking brutal. Okay. But we were going to do this show 
called the Valentine's Day Massacre, and I don't remember where we were going to do it. We were going to do, and we were. It's because I think Valentine's Day fell on like a Saturday that year, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were going to wear, and we had it all lined up. Like this wasn't just an idea; it was a done deal. And I don't remember if we moved it, but I remember the original show got canceled. We were going to wear red t-shirt or sorry, red button ups Mm. with black ties. And then each dude would just be able to do whatever he wanted to the button up, like cut the sleeves off, go fucking roll them up, roll them up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Tight, like go, go tighten it and look like, you know, clean or fucking like open collar it with a big fat loose tie. Who gives a fuck? As Mm -hmm. long as we all vaguely seem like we look like we're supposed to. Dude. And we did it. I remembered like bringing them all to rehearsal. And I remember everybody, I remember one dude, uh, I think it was our bass player had like, kind of nice biceps so he just straight up cut the sleeves off because he always played in something sleeveless anyways right uh (laughs) nick i remember left his untucked because he that was his vibe and it Mm. just worked dude it was a cool fucking idea they had their own little yeah different thing but it it was was sort of a sort of a uniform i think that's a cool if you're gonna do it i think that's a good way to do it i i think good good for you guys being that young and like having the sense of like we should do something but let's not be dumb that's cool, man. We were That's like, cool. well, no, we were like, let's be dumb as hell, <laughs> but <laughs> but let's make it work, you know. And that's to this day, that's the motto. <laughs> like, we're gonna be dumb, but how is it? Can at least be charming. So, when charming did you or the band, either or, however you want to answer this, is fine. When did you guys shift from let's be dumb? to let's be dumb but make it work like when did you actually try to say we want to be like a good band though that's one of my favorite questions i've ever gotten so to my recollection as the as the oldest i was at the time but definitely the most the biggest idiot somehow still uh but trying to drive the ship nonetheless uh i don't know i think i was thinking about that the other day i i think it's it's like what happens in every band like you look at like the replacements or any of the great bands they're just a good obvious you know comparison but they started off as like a fuckery you know punk band and then uh westerberg thank you westerberg started writing really good songs and so for me i'm a third i'm a third generation guitar player dad's a great musician grandpa's a fantastic musician so they all play guitar yeah is anybody multi-instrument um mostly guitar players and singers okay and just all around fantastic so it's not like musicians. other instruments were like even possibly a choice basically it was well i mean they always played in bands uh so i was third generation but like, you weren't gonna be a drummer rock and roll well i i actually was i got a drum set for like oh, really? my second or third birthday and it's just cool, not in the like, dna eight. man it's just not for you bro you're a well, guitar I, player i am a good drummer but no, you're no not. i <laughs> i'm just kidding i have no I, idea i have I. no idea <laughs> i have no idea no anyways no, get, back, get role, back to what you were actually my saying. role was like all right i i can lead a band i just have to figure it out and okay. that was that was kind of what i learned in this band and i'm still <laughs> learning fucking 15 years later um but that's what's cool about it is yeah i think it was a joke because like i wanted to be i was in bands in high school and they never worked because i was just this only child kind of immature little kid sitting in his bedroom trying to make demos trying to do like enough songs where eventually wouldn't one wouldn't be shit or it's like a drummer would want to play with me 
And so eventually you get a drummer and then they quit and then five other guys quit and then you move and then same thing. And then I found these guys and it was just fun. Like we would do joke, dumb, stupid songs, get sweaty in the basement. Then we started playing shows. And then I remember there was a teen center down the street. And so we would start packing that place. This is before we could even get in the garage. The, is this the Enigma the, Center? No, this is the Eastview Teen Center. <clears throat> and so we would... Eastview Teen Center. Yeah, it's not there anymore. That sounds like something out of a shitty TV show. I know. You know what I mean? Like, well, just that a, name. A even just that name, school. though. Yeah, but no. Eastview Teen Center. It's like. I, I don't even know if that's what it was called, but. That also sounds like a place kids are getting diddled. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was more like all it was was this little fucking shack uh, outside this high school. This, like, really nice, ritzy high school. And it's even. I was there last week. It was even uh, ritzier now course and um but it's not there anymore they used to have a water park out back like i've heard a recess but like these kids could literally go to the damn water park um but yeah so we would start doing shows there before we could even get into the garage and we we would charge our own admission and like sell them our, our demo tapes and like we did like five shows there where we were like these dumbass kids walking away with a couple hundred bucks and like crowd surfing and mosh and we're like okay we love this and then we started doing the garage and then we were like kind of the new you know little little high school punk band and it was so much fun we'd play the lounge on purpose because we would pack the place and it could just go crazy and we loved it we we loved just being in this little our little world and to this day i like uh, however long the band can carry on is like i want to keep that spirit alive once that spirit's not there anymore, then I don't think I'd do this band. But um, I think that's, that's, that's what important, is, is important about the band. It's like we were just this energy, this youthful thing. And so we got to keep that going because that's what's cool about us. So <clears throat> everybody starts a band because they love music. Correct. Right. Well, well that's actually not and true. And the chicks. That's not true. The chicks are great. I was just going to say, famous. not everybody starts a band because they love music. Most people start playing an instrument yeah. first. Mm -hmm. before. So if you go this route, right? If you go, I started playing an instrument and then started a band or joined a band. Mm -hmm. It's usually the main initial motivation is I love music. Yep. That's why I wanted to play an instrument. And then, and then you want to play with your friends or, you know, like you want to right. multiply it. You want to uh, do it, it with somebody it, else. Including yeah. writing songs, including. It's like, like masturbating. Doing, like you figure that out and then you want to have sex someday. You know? Okay. Right. So, okay. Now we're getting to something. <laughs> we're getting to something. Right? We're getting to something, right? We're getting to something. So check this out. So I've always had this philosophy that I didn't come up with. It's not an original idea. Um, this is actually something that, and I hate agreeing with this guy. Okay. I hate the fact that this guy actually said one of the most profound things I've ever heard about the music business. It's fucking Kid Rock. And he said, mm -hmm. the only reason people pursue music as a career is one of three motivations. Oh, okay. Now, there might be a fourth one, but you could argue this fourth one falls into one of these other three. It's not sex, drugs, rock and roll, is it? <laughs> no, that's, okay. that's that old industry cliche, though. That's yeah. that, but okay, there's three it. reasons, and it's... It's described from a male's perspective, a straight male's perspective. Okay. You either do it for pussy, okay. you do it for money, or you do it for fame. Mm. It's the only reason you would ever pursue a career in music. You're either trying to get famous, you're trying to get rich, 
or you're trying to get pussy. And that there's so much wisdom in that statement because it's Fair. so honest that you ha you can start self analyzing like we were talking about earlier, right? You can mm -hmm. once you self criticize, you can self analyze. What are my motivations here? Well, if I'm trying to get chicks, maybe I should get a haircut and yeah. fucking shave my shitty beard. As a, <laughs> and I'm saying this because I have, I need a fucking haircut and my beard looks like shit, right? Like. Or maybe I should dress better on stage because I'm doing all these things and here's what my motivation is. If you want to yeah. make money, then you should probably figure out how to run it like a business, business yeah. you know, because the whole point is and th that doesn't mean you're gross and you're not an artist because you want to make money is it's what you're saying is I don't want a nine to five. Yeah. I want to do music. I want to as do a, this. This is what I want to do yeah. forever. Okay. Well, now that we know that your motivation is money. Mm hmm. Now we can figure out why you're not making money and how to improve on those things. Yeah. If you want to get famous, okay, well, now we can understand. If you want to build a brand and a reputation and you want to become a character and a yeah. fucking, this whole deal, and this is a launching pad for you, cool. Now we can figure out the missing pieces as to why you're not popping. You see what yeah. I'm getting at? And I think a lot of people in this town really are afraid to admit that because they feel like they aren't an artist or a real musician if they admit those things so when oh, i have people yeah. on this podcast they constantly say i just i just love the music and i go no 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 no. if you just love the music mm. you would not need to play shows you and your yeah. bros could just grab a 12 pack and get together on friday night in my basement yeah. you know like and i've been in those bands mm -hmm. and it's not enough for me yeah. And so I'll turn it on myself and then I'm going to ask you to answer this question. So for me, it. it falls under the fame category. So mm -hmm. is what I want is peer recognition. That's what, yeah. that's what really makes my fucking juices flow and makes me feel valid is yeah. when great musicians tell me I'm great. Mm -hmm. So when I open for certain people in the past or I'm touring with certain guys yeah. or I'm working with certain people or I'm just hanging out and I pick up a guitar. And somebody I know is fucking dope. Mm -hmm. And they go, dude, you're fucking actually pretty good. Yeah. I'm like, fucking thanks, man. And now I feel good. You see what I'm saying? Like I when, my, when my little brother who's 15, 16 years younger than me tells me I'm great. I'm like, Jack, no, I'm not, dude. His name is also Jack. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's actually Jackson, coincidentally. Oh, right? yeah. So he's not a, one of those fake Johns. I never understood <laughs> right? that shit. <laughs> right? To all you Johns out there who go by Jack. It's a weird old school thing, dude. It's a weird. I don't. I can't explain that. <laughs> we one. used to actually have a Jack, another Jack in the band. That's and, fucking hilarious. And I, I'm pretty sure his full name was John. And I was always like, so we, it's Jack Smith. But like, so we we uh, he made up his own. You talk about a stage name. He became Steve Awesome. Steve Awesome. Steve Awesome. That's a great fucking name, dude. It was fantastic. Well, let's Steve explain, Awesome, if you're listening, let's explain the context. I still love you. Let's ex let's explain the context of life. that comment, though, for the listeners. I said, "Hey, nice stage name, by the way," and you went, "No, that's my real name." And I went, yeah. "Then why are you Jackson Dylan on Facebook?" And you told yeah. me Facebook fucked you over. Blah blah blah. Oh, we I don't need to tell the whole story, in, like, but fucking Afghanistan. When you went to create a new page, they said, "Pick a real name." Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and they, I tried every combination you could think of. They would not let me use my last name. Which is hilarious. See, I'm, I'm so German, now and, I'm German and Swedish. So, like, the German part of the family was, like, Swagger. It was so weird. I don't know why they pronounced it with that inflection. Terrible. And then the Swedes on the other side, Swagger. So, like, not, but it's funny now because now Swagger is like a buzzword. Swagger. Swagger. We used to have this dude who did our, our filming for our old band. 
and he'd be like, "Oh, swagger, <laughs> oh swagger, <laughs> swagger, <laughs> oh swagger." <laughs> it is a cool name, though. Um, people thought I arbitrarily changed my name or made up my last name, yeah, because they they've known me by many names, right? Oh, <clears throat> I've always he's a been man that of guy. Many names, right? Since high school, I fucked with my name oh. because I was arrogant enough in high school to already know I was eventually going to have stalkers, which was true. I've Ooh. had several stalkers in my life. Yeah, all women. Preemptive. All women. <laughs> all women. Uh, but for real, so for the longest time, starting in high school, my stage name, I literally went by Jonathan Ross. The reason for Sounds that like was... name. I know. The reason for that was... <laughs> Jonathan I was, Ross. I was supposed to be Jonathan. Yeah. And then my mom decided I was Jared at the last minute. Oh. Fine. Fair. My middle name is Ross. Do you, do you have some hangups about that? Like, do you want no. to be Jonathan? No. Okay, good. But I knew, I knew <laughs> Jared. Can't, I knew Jared Cantor wasn't oh, yeah. a great marketable thing, right? It sounds weird. It doesn't have as many rhythm to it. So I was, I was Jonathan Ross, right? I thought that sounded better, I, and I, like I didn't that. want any stalkers, right? So that's how I ended up on yeah. Jonathan Ross. This was what okay. I was supposed to be named. That's my real middle name, and then it was Jared Ross. For the longest time. I like that one. Because I was like, I don't want to do that Jonathan thing. That's stupid. Yeah. I was like, that's pretentious, right? I'll be Jared Ross. That's fine. Still no stalkers. And then eventually I was like, man, fuck this middle name, stage name bullshit. I'm Jared Cantor, right? Yeah. But then people would say Cantor and the whole thing. I'm like, whatever. Jared when, Cantor. When I got married, though, my wife's name's Kate. And she was like, I don't want to be Kate Cantor because it sounds like I'm doing the weather. And her dad was pressuring her to keep her last name, yeah. right? Which is not a good last name. It's fucking goofy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why don't we translate my actual last name to English? So Cantor is the literal Yiddish word for singer. And so that's how I came up with Jared Singer. And it's oh, not a cool. stage name. We changed it when we got married. So it's your legal name. Yeah. That's yeah. badass. <laughs> and it, I love that. And it's not even... A made-up thing i just translated my yeah. name from yiddish to english just like any other immigrant would have when they came to this country oh. back in the day you see what i'm saying like oh okay it's it's i love it it's love it's it. pretty cool it's like it's pretty simple but i thought you did something similar as well mm -mm. i thought it was pretty cool when, no, when you yeah, told they, me your real name is swagger like yeah. that's that's dope man yep, and i am a jackson dylan after bob dylan that was my my dad uh in that one yeah it is d-y-l-a-n yep yep Absolutely. So, all right. So you start this band. I'm well, curious. Oh, yeah. I'm Didn't curious. you ask me a question? Yeah. I'm curious okay. what your motivation is when okay. you start this of band. Of the three. When you start this band and you decide, when you, when you decide you want to like do this, do this for yeah. real, what's the motivation? Do you think it falls into fame, money, or chicks? Okay. I think that it's like, it's a good like 80 to 90% fame. But for a uh, uh, good reason, uh, I, I didn't care about, like, I want to be famous. It's more like notoriety. Like, I think that I have something that I can put to music that people can dig, and I want to see how many people in my lifetime I can affect. And it's also like, this is shit that outlives us all. So, so, so something bigger you, than ourselves. People you can affect, right? Yeah, so yeah. what you mean by that, can I assume, is some kid goes, hey, man, fucking you inspired me to pick up the guitar. Yeah. And then and if you're was, lucky, he goes, and it saved my life. Well, and I've had <laughs> little experiences like that, yeah, and it's too. changed my life. I mean, coming up as a 17-year-old, making my first demos at my studio down the street at 17, then starting this band, 
and then having like my buddy before this band was even even had any music out uh he he was like yeah i was driving back from uh new jersey where he was from and he was just like you know my girlfriend broke up with me and we were together all through high school and you know i put on your demo because he was like i was just in a shit place and like was like just questioning everything and he's like you know should i just lose control of the car right now and and he's like i put that song on and it just like put me in a good mood and i was just like that was my first like experience very young with like affecting somebody like that and it's like the high the, it's like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and that's the nature of i guess what we do you know i'm glad you said that though because it's weird because neither one of us are famous right and i'm starting to understand i'm starting to understand why jesse was like you got to have this guy on the podcast because our store, <laughs> our origin stories are so similar. Mm-hmm. Our personalities are extremely similar. I think you're a lot more chill than I am. It's taken a long time. You have no idea. I was the most ADHD kid you've <laughs> ever seen on the fucking planet. I'm still pretty intense though. I, no, I'm, I'm an intense human being. I'm pretty chilled out right now. You know, it's the cigar. It's the cigar. It's a lot of things. It's working all day and it's just been a lot in, life lately but and we got a vibe going man we tonight do, we tonight do. dude and since, since, we, since we, st- we were like all right let's go do this and we sat down here dude it was like right away we cracked a beer lit up the cigars and we just been on a chill ass vibe this whole time i love it i, I appreciate love it man but uh, no cheers, I, yeah cheers thanks again for having me so no to to go deeper into your question fame see i i, I was in this oh other- yeah let me let me just say this one thing about about that is like yeah. i appreciate the way you said that though because even though we're not actually famous and it does make a lot of sense why Jesse wanted us to talk to talk to each other is I've also had a lot of those moments mm-hmm. and you may not be able to go to your grave saying I sold millions of records. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were if either one of us were to die tomorrow. Yeah. But we could easily retire tomorrow and know that we did have a positive effect and a positive, a positive change effect on because people out there, yeah. Even though it's still yeah, two hands Definitely not more than two hands. Mm-hmm. The amount of people I can count that have reached out and said shit like that, mm-hmm. and like then I've watched them go on to do things. Yeah, it's a pretty fulfilling experience. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic and, feeling. And, but that does fall under fame because that is a recognition thing. That is a, is, yeah. a ego fulfilling thing. Because because aren't we all as musicians kind of insecure? Well, and, and kind of needy. Well, and it's just people in general. We want to. It's crazy because, you know, they say it's like on one side of things, it's like, well, you know, we're all going to die anyways and, you know, just enjoy your life and blah, blah, blah. But then there's also this innate thing in us that like we have to create meaning, you know, like we have to do something meaningful with our time because that's our most valuable asset, I guess, right. you know, is time. So uh, I, th- I think that that's just programmed in a lot of us, but a lot, it's like you were saying, like a lot of us are maybe scared you know, to break out of like the mold of like how life is supposed to go. And I remember when, when I was like confronted with like go to college or like figure out your next phase in life after my senior year, I was in a weird state where I was, I was playing first Avenue. I was like, like main room or seven Street? and main room. Wow. At eight, barely 18 years old, you know, the frigging and are you, opens are you and opening for bands yeah we, we opened up for a few bands we opened up for quiet drive when they were selling out first Ave, and it was in that last little wave of like pop punk motion city like that was all that shit was big you know and we weren't that 
but like we were able to like open for bands like that because we were just so fucking good and we just didn't give a fuck and we i remember you know uh the band uh new medicine um they were real big for a while and i do know who you're talking yeah, about. yeah yeah and they were kind of in that scene that came up through quiet drive well their band that they had kind of before that they had all the fancy merch and like it just worked with the grammy winner and like they were doing all this big shit and like we did some like some like regional like battles battle the bands against them with fucking duct taped up shoes and like just scrappy bringing all our like sweaty friends and like we just rocked it and like i don't know like it's just funny how how life goes and we uh we kept we kept moving forward and we we literally went from the basement and the teen center to first avenue main room within six months and it it was crazy then you have agents and you have labels courting you and you have uh managers and multiple managers and daily you know weekly meetings and so i just decided to say fuck it i did i was like no i'm i had to break my mom's heart i was like no i was gonna do like the film thing or acting but um i don't know i still i still get to do that in my own way but uh i don't know man uh basically the band cracked is what happened is like i decided not to go to college we gave it another year and a half and like did all this crazy fun insane cool a million shows worth of shit and then yeah like label was like let's go i'm gonna put you on tour you're gonna go tour with these bands you're gonna put out records like we're gonna do the thing we're gonna figure it out and then um i remember having a meeting outside of chuck berry's room in uh what is it uh kansas city or st louis uh blueberry hill and we had just opened up for the meat puppets and the label showed up and takes us all outside we were like broken up by this point it's like a relationship when it's just fucking it's over you know and like i remember him just being like can you guys please not break up like i want to sign you right now and um and basically yeah the band just kind of like they were all going to go to college and be accountants and nurses and so they were they were not doing it for money they were were definitely for the love of being the age that they were they were probably doing it for pussy well um, because they weren't doing it for fame and they weren't doing it for money because they decided to go pursue careers in different directions so yeah your band members at the time they were like it's fun Mm -hmm. i get chicks and i like it right so it's it's as simple as that so it's not even that the band cracked because when i hear cracked that word to me sounds like they cracked under the pressure under the stress under the workload they got burned out whatever I was um, all in and they weren't. And to this day, that's what I struggle with, even with band members or whoever. And that's why it's kind of nice to be at the point where I'm at where it's like, well, I got my old label back. My band did get back together, strangely, during the height of COVID and got to do some amazing yeah, things. Yeah, because they all became non-essential. That's why they were like, man, fuck, man, maybe maybe my backup plan wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> well, and it was more than that's that. I mean, my me drummer laugh. and I did, you know, reunite the band initially uh marcus who i'm still like we're cool and uh, i want him to be involved but you know he's just he's got a cool ass girlfriend wife now i think they just got married uh and yeah he's still the same guy still loves records he still loves punk rock but he's a nurse he's out in winona in that kind of scene and um you know it's just he's got his life now and i think uh it was it was all very serendipitous getting the band back together 
going out to Seattle, making the record with Jack and Dino, getting signed to our old label, who we were supposed to sign with 10 years ago, and, and, then, and then selling out on like Best Buy and Walmart, this unknown punk band on vinyl. You know, it's just like, and then charting on radio and stuff, and like doing all this during COVID when we couldn't fucking play. So let's back up here before um, we get too far ahead of ourselves. Because yeah, yeah. you said a bunch of interesting shit, but I didn't want to interrupt you yeah, at the same yeah, time. No, I'm, no, work, I'm, I'm working on becoming a better... I, I've always been a good conversationalist, but I'm trying to be a better host and a better podcaster and a better interviewer. I respect right? that. It's, it's all tangents and... Right, and that's web. what makes a great podcast, right? It's like so a Tarantino I, flick in here. Sort of. And we've actually used that phrase on this podcast a lot. We're going to Tarantino this thing and move oh, back yeah. and forth between the timeline and shit, it. right? Yeah. So let's back up a little bit, because one thing I'm really interested in is you go from the teen center yeah. straight to first Ave, yeah. main stage, opening yep. for Kawhi Driver, whoever. doesn't really yeah. matter. We played it, does, it, it four actually, times before I was 19 years how old. How does that jump happen? How do you, how do you struggle? How do you, cause, cause mo- it was on. very weird. Let me put it this wasn't in supposed to happen that way. Cause a lot of, a lot of us who've been in you and me, our shoes, mm-hmm. a lot of us don't appreciate the, even, even bands who haven't made it to first half. Yeah. Okay. They still don't appreciate what they have accomplished because yeah. it doesn't seem like that big of a deal is what they don't realize don't is there's literally the time, yeah. millions of bands that never ever get to, that get to the first show. Yep. They never even make it to their first show. I would yeah. even venture to guess that not even globally, just in America, there's a hundred thousand bands that are started per year mm-hmm. that never ever play their first show Yep, every year. Yeah. And then you think about how long bands have been around and you just start extrapolating that math. And then maybe they, maybe they did do a show, but it was only at the teen center and then they never got to do a second show (laughs) or they played four shows, but they were all at the teen center. They couldn't break out of the teen center and they got frustrated and one of them quit and that broke up the band because he was the main songwriter anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, or, or guys got out of the teen center, but guess where they went? The garage or the red sea. Yeah. Which aren't much better, right? And it's like, and then they broke up. To get to, I mean, First Ave in this town, it's it's legitimately the whiskey a go go. Yeah, there is no bigger venue. I mean, there's a bigger venue with more people, but there's not a bigger venue as far as like rep and especially if you're local. Especially if you're local, but even coming through as a national act, yeah, yeah, like you don't skip First Avenue though. Yeah, like nobody, nobody like. Maybe Skid Row back in the day <laughs> skipped First Avenue, but nobody realistically comes through town and does small venue, small venue like uh, fucking Fine Line mm-hmm. or The Rock back in the day, or I don't even know what clubs are around right now, at least not off the top of my head. Skip First Avenue and go straight to the Excel Center. Yeah. Like every fucking band that's worth their weight in salt that went on tour at some point in time played first Avenue main room. Like that's just how it is. That's right? how it works. It's yeah. just what it is. There's so many bands, including my own. I never played first Ave main stage. It's literally, I think the, somebody had to remind me, I said, I've said this on the podcast a lot of times. I've, I listed a bunch of bands or a bunch of stages I haven't played on and people messaged me and called me and yeah. they're like, what are you talking about? We played that together and they sent me flyers. And I was like, I forgot about that show, right? (laughs) So apparently, First Ave Main Stage is legitimately the only stage I haven't played in town, other than Target Center, and I think we did play the Excel. We opened for somebody real, real fucking big at the Excel. 
Um, I never played the Myth. Oh, um, yeah. And obviously, I haven't played the Armory because it's pretty new. Okay. But there's so many bands that never even make it to that point. I'm, I'm super interested yeah. in this. So how do you jump from the teen center directly? Like, take me through step by step. Like, obviously, it wasn't just one show. Somebody obviously had seen you more than once at the teen center. How um, long did the teen center thing last okay. before you made that jump? So and how basically, did that happen? The, the band started, and it was Marcus and myself and our guitar player at the time, Luke, who was obsessed with the Ramones. And he was part of our aesthetic. He could not play guitar, but he was my wrestling practice buddy, and we were in sports and stuff together. Wasn't there a dude in the Sex Pistols who couldn't play? Well, yeah, just Sid Vicious. <laughs> yeah, 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 Sid Vicious. I knew, I he knew was I our Sid Vicious. And he, um, but he instilled like this like punk rock attitude in us, and same with Marcus. Like they both, they were best friends at the time. And so I kind of went into their world of just like they loved punk rock. They they knew more. They had more indie cred than I did, because I was just like I knew what I knew from like the radio and just being a kid coming up in that generation of like the fucking like the Strokes and the Hives and the Vines and like that all that shit that came out Jet the Killers. You know, I wanted to be that. And then because I grew up on the Beatles, so I liked songs and rock and melody and um. But that was those were my contemporaries. And then they got me into this whole world of like punk rock, everything before or after. Um, and then, so yeah, we were just basically trying to do punk rock songs and I was the singer because I really just wanted to be the singer. Uh, I knew that I had the energy and I could fucking get the crowd going and I didn't really want to like have to like play guitar and figure all the riffs out. He'd come up with these crazy little three chord riffs and we off we'd go, you know. But then... It became apparent that like Marcus and I were the ones that were kind of the, the center of it. So we would start getting together and demo. And that was our thing. We would write songs. And that's where it changed. You, t you talked about where the changing point was, is we started writing songs. Like real songs. Instead of just making noise. Yeah. So it, the, yeah, the, Got the, you. And a lot of bands start that way. So it's this visceral noise. And then it kind of gets real a little bit because you write some good, decent songs. Your first little ones. That to this day, I like play a lot of those. When I wrote when I was 17, that's powerful when there's stuff that you did back then that you still haven't grown out of because it's still relevant. Obviously, a lot of other ones we did, but that's cool as fuck. That's one of the things, my favorite things about being a musician. Uh, surprising your old self and your new self or whatever. So, uh, basically, we, we start booking shows at the Teen Center, start getting this little scene going. We, get, we transfer it to the garage. We get our little scene going there. Oh, so you did go to the garage. Yeah. Okay, so there yep. was at least a stepping stone there between... There was, yeah. Okay, once we got to okay. The... this yeah. is making way more sense. Keep going, yeah. keep going. So, yeah, so we had our little <laughs> scene of, like, you know, blue-haired emo kids, um, you know, and it, 15 turned into 30, and 30 turned into 15, and we, we played there every month, and there'd be a crowd. And we were starting to open up for the bands that were doing something there, SMB or whoever, you know, whoever was playing there. Yeah, Johnny. Yeah. John, old Johnny Wheeler. He's been on the podcast a lot, actually. He's one I of love my, John Wheeler. He he's did one my, of my boys He now. did my, um, for my solo single, uh, which is also on DC Jam, he did the video for that. He Big and fan I, of him. He and I became Great buds guy. through this podcast. Him he, and I had never. He helped our band a lot. Him and I had love met. Love you, John. Fucking love you. Him man. and I had met and spoken dozens of times yeah but never knew a fucking thing about each other and mm -hmm. honestly we didn't give a fuck about each other he yeah. was a fucking legit deal 
Yeah. I was this other coming up and coming guy. I had a lot of respect for him and his music and all that shit. But yeah, like, I was never one of the guys who was like trying to suck his dick and become yeah. his best friend. So maybe my band could get an opportunity. I always hated those fucking people. Yeah. And it was like, John's a fucking weirdo. His crew doesn't like my crew. I'm cool with that. Still respect him as a musician. We became buds, though, through this podcast. He's got his own deal going on YouTube. I should actually try to get you over there. I would love to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John's the man. I've always loved and respected that guy. He used to run the meetings at the garage. And he was our guy there. Yep. He always helped us out. He threw us on their shows. Like, he did a lot of things for our little, little fucking teenage band that he didn't have to do, you know? And to this day, you know, like should we call him right now? We should. Should we call him? Can, oh, that'd be so awesome. Let's see if he answers. He might actually. He usually answers when I call. Uh, it's so funny because all our Especially musician yes. friends, all, all our musician friends are just we're all so busy. So usually, motherfuckers don't have the time to call or answer, and they, you know how it is. You know how it is. They're at rehearsal. They're recording whatever. But but Johnny actually. Johnny might actually answer. What if he's like, I don't remember this guy. <laughs> Did my video like three months ago. Who? Who? What? I'm turning up the game. Just. I don't think he's going to answer. Leave my voice. Please back. leave your message for. I'm not letting his phone number go on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) They they know it starts with nine. (laughs) That's all you get, fuckers. Happy (laughs) hunting. It's funny. He'll call back. Johnny Johnny will definitely call back. Oh, yeah, he's the man. He's he's such a a fun, cool, goofy guy. Him and I have always vibed. Um, He's a fucking weirdo. I love that guy. Yeah, he's so much fun. He's such a bizarre human being. My favorite thing about him is that basically he's one of the few people who didn't disagree with my three categories thing for yeah. the motivations. He yeah. goes, but you need to add one power. Mm. He goes, cause I love access and power. I love being able to go where I want. I love being able to have influence over people. And there was mm. a while, there was, there was a period of time where I was I like, okay, care. and there's a fourth one, but honestly, no, that comes down to fame because that's recognition. People have to know who you Notoriety, are yeah. in order to g- grant you power. Yeah. So that still comes down to fame. So for me, yeah, like I was saying, I, th- I think, I don't know if you can be 100% in all three, just from my personal opinion, because I'm like mm. fame mostly. Got you, uh, got you, got you, got you. Pussy, I honestly cared the least about. Um, and, uh, Money is very important to me so I can keep doing this. And that's like, I've always been business minded, but the music does come first because I'm like, that's your product. So like, that's, let's get that done. And then everything else kind of, you know, goes around that. You know? No, I think that's the most honest way to answer that question because me, that's, that's correct for me as well, dude. Honestly, man, like f- the fame, the peer recognition, that was like internal, right? Yeah. And then like, getting people to say hey man you know you inspired me blah 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 mm-hmm. blah okay that's external that's super cool yeah. that's also fulfilling and but then, then they're buying your shit so then the money comes into play where it's like exactly i, I wanted the money do this yeah <laughs> i wanted the money especially a lot of it because yeah. like being a rich rock star is probably the coolest thing you could do right and then, then you get both yeah right and then i definitely wanted chicks because i'm not a big dude now yeah but i was extremely skinny and thin 
even though I was super athletic and I was dope at sports, yeah, it was like, yeah, but music musicians are the ones who get the real chicks. Like, yeah. like there was definite when I was 14, 15, 16. So for me too, man, it was definitely a combination of the three. And I think like you, it was that, it was that external fulfillment of the possible because honestly man james hetfield and other musicians really did save my life i had a fucked up childhood really could have gone down the wrong path and music really did save me it mm. really did give me something when all my buddies are like oh we're gonna and i'm like nah man i'm gonna go home and play guitar i'm gonna have actually more fun learning these metallica riffs yeah then i'm gonna be uh fucking stealing bikes with you clowns yeah <laughs> like it, that that mentality yeah. actually shifted in my mind it wasn't even just like i had something to distract me from all the bad shit in my neighborhood i wanted to do that i literally started telling people to fuck off and then i have that junkie mentality like an nfl quarterback has yeah uh, i heard a, yeah i heard a, 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 a nfl coach describe what makes a great quarterback and he said it's a junkie mentality like think of yeah. it like an actual heroin addict they start off recreationally because it's fun and they dabble in high school and then they develop a craving for it and an itch for it in college. And then by the time they're in the pros, they can't think or do anything else. They live, eat, yeah. sleep, and breathe football, AKA heroin, right? Yeah. It was the most brilliant analogy I ever heard in my life because that's also what it takes to create a great anything, yeah. a great podcaster, a great musician, a great manager, a great salesperson. It starts off recreationally, then they get an itch and a craving for it, and then it becomes a full-blown obsession, and there's nothing else that can consume yeah, you. you that genuinely in. happened to me with music. Yeah, same. And I think that's what, that's what most of us need to acknowledge, is that whole process, that whole evolution. When did it happen? What were your motivations? And why are you still doing this years later? Because it can eventually go, I'm not doing it for money. I have a great job. Okay, cool. You know, benefits, I got a family, all that shit, right? I'm not doing it for pussy because I got a wife mm -hmm. and I'm very happy in my life and I mm -hmm. got kids and shit. But then they, they just don't want to admit that last one. They're like, but I still want people to tell me I'm dope. Like playing on stage is awesome. It's an adrenaline rush. Well, no one wants to say that they crave fame and no one wants to admit that they have an ego and no one wants to, it's, it's weird. It's like no one can admit it? a sense of fucking self. And even if it's, I, like, yeah, like fucking admit you're selfish. Like it's not a bad thing to be selfish. That's what keeps you alive <laughs> is to be selfish, everyone. So let me ask you listening. this. So clearly you're, you think, and you're somewhat philosophical, at least at a minimum, somewhat philosophical. So do you believe there's any actual selfless acts in this world? That's a good question. Um, I believe that a lot of the time, doesn't it feel like even when people are doing something nice, it's it, it there's always some sense of personal gain. It's like or or even just personal uh, uh absolvement, you know? Like like I don't know. I'm going to go I'm going to go do this and like that like gives me a pass for like being kind of shitty lately you know yeah maybe i'm gonna go to the soup kitchen or i'm gonna go like volunteer for this and that's you know it makes all like the shortcomings i've had like that's just what i've kind of noticed from people and maybe maybe they are trying to be selfless maybe i mean I, there's you they're know. definitely trying to and they probably are good people but it's not a hundred yeah, percent selfless relative. being good everyone is relative 
Right. And it, and it's not 100% selfless is all I'm trying to say. No, it, it's that not. doesn't mean it's selfish. Maybe. It doesn't mean it's immediately the opposite thing. It's a mutually beneficial thing. Like you feel better all, by chemicals. doing good things for other people. Of it's, course, it's, it's chemicals. It's our, it's our brains are based on. So like, like, for instance, like, oh, you know, we go out and we, we order two beers and I say, ah, oh, throw it on my tab. You know, it's for my buddy. Like, is that a selfless act or is that an act of courtesy? Or is that me trying to, you know, just get in a little bit better with my new buddy or whatever, you know, right. like there I mean, is a motivation there, right? It is, and it it could, is selfless, but it's also, there's it, a slight motivation, right? I mean, it's courteous and it's, but I don't think it's truly selfless because you're yeah. getting something out of but it. But I see what you're saying. Right. And I agree with and you. And it doesn't mean it's selfish. It doesn't mean it's negative. I'm not trying to To pervert. have a self means to embrace being selfish within reason. I guess. Let me put it this way. Let me, for the listeners especially, mm. to put it in perspective. When Westerners start feeling depressed or whatever, <laughs> yeah. they say, go do something for yourself. Take some time off. Go do something for yourself. Go yeah, pamper you yourself. You. Love yourself. Right? Yeah. Do something you want to do. In the East, the, tr the, the philosophy is, go do something for someone else. Like, go yeah. help someone. Yeah. Because Either way, either it doesn't really matter what you do. The point is, is you're getting something out of it. You feel better at the end of it. And that doesn't pervert the act. It doesn't mean that helping other people is worthless or selfish. It's not what I'm saying at all. It's just not 100% selfless. It's, there's and, and, something you're yeah. getting out of it. And that the only act I can think of that's truly selfless, truly selfless, is when you put something that's suffering out of its misery like if you come across an injured animal and i've had oh, to do this many times in yeah. my life growing up in minnesota and you have to kill an animal to to end its suffering you don't feel good about that in fact the only thing you can do to go to sleep after killing something is trying to justify what you just fucking did yeah that is the only it takes thing a toll I on you yes exactly even if it's something that needed to happen like killing shit is it yeah. takes a toll and I think it was out of necessity. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And then, so unless you're doing it to protect your family members or to protect yourself, like self defense, that's not selfless. That's self defense. You're protecting yeah, yourself. That it, it, you're it getting selfish, something out right? of that. Yeah, yeah. But if you like stumble across an animal that's already suffering and you just put it out of its misery, yeah. You, that doesn't, I've done that and it doesn't make you feel No, good. it feels like shit. It feels like shit. The only reason you can even remotely live with what you just did is because you know that that animal was dying and it was just going to suffer way worse. Mm -hmm. That is the closest I can think of to a truly selfless, selfless act. I haven't been able to think of anything else. And I've thought about this for years now since my buddy asked me a while yeah. back. Can you think of anything else? I'm thinking else? about that too. Like, like let's say, yeah, you, you go down the street and you give the, the homeless guy on the street your, the coat off your back. It's a nice thing to do. Right. But And it's technically it, selfless, but it's not a hundred percent selfless, right? Because you're getting uh Yeah, see uh you're getting your rocks off mm -hmm. feeling like for the rest of the day or whatever, the week or whatever. You just yep. get to kinda of carry that in your pocket. Exactly, right? Okay. And, so <laughs> this yeah. is the most awkward segue ever, but it's also the most know, yeah. perfect segue ever. I wanna Strange, play but yeah. I wanna play one of your songs for people. We've got a few videos to play tonight. You're debuting one at eight o'clock. We are. This first one we're gonna play because I gotta piss as well. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's my honesty. I, think I do thing. too.
Um, what's this go, one? Man. What's the first one? Was it uh, two headshots? We can do two shots to the back of the head. Well, it, it's either that or it's get your kicks. Either one. We'll play the song and then we'll Is talk about it when we come back. The roulette. Oh, I mean, it's not a roulette. I have them in order. I just don't remember <laughs> what order we put them in. I just remember the new one's the third one. All right, so we're going to play this song. The button. Uh, hopefully you guys dig it. If you don't, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah. No, no, our listeners are awesome, man. Our viewers and listeners no, are I love great. you, listeners. Uh, yeah, so let's cue this up. This is a music video. You'll be able to cue this up once you see it pop up. I don't know what's going on with our system. I already hit play. It's just like, it just takes so long. You've seen this happen earlier, right? Oh, no, oh. I did fuck that up. There we go. Get your kicks. So, go for it. I Rock just and roll. All right. twice there we go nice dude 
<laughs> I was giving you shit. Yeah. The listeners didn't get to hear it. I said, your punk band's bullshit. The song's too long. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I said that, though, is because we both were able to take a piss while that song was playing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was terrified the entire time while I was upstairs pissing. I was like, God. like I, I was like, I'm gonna get down there, and it's just gonna be he's sitting there in silence because I'm thinking <laughs> in my head, I'm like, it's punk rock. These fuckers don't even make three minute songs. Sometimes it's a minute and a half. That's a song. Oh, it thank sh- God. It should be. Our old ones were about a minute and a half. The new, like the newer stuff. Yeah, I think we're. Well, technically, that was that was an old song, but I think that, that felt one's still, like three minutes. I think it was. I think it's just under three minutes, maybe two and a half. I forget. Two fifty. Yeah. The but, tyrants. The tyrants had a song with how was, we used to play it. Oh yeah, it was about fucking two minutes long. I was in this rock band called the Tyrants. We had a song that was two minutes and twelve seconds. Oh, that's a that's a hit right there, man. What did they say that the algorithm used to be for like a hit on the radio was like three and a half minutes, something like that. Yeah, yeah. but like yeah, unless unless the algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't. But use I think that's it. all changed. They didn't the shit use that, that I like is usually yeah, then, two to three minutes. I mean, dude, three I'm a, is like a long song to me. Nah, fuck that, dude. I ain't got that ADD bullshit for music. If it's a great song, it can be That's eight true. minutes. I don't give a fuck if it needs to be two minutes. Yeah, you then don't make know. it two. This is a punk rock philosophy, and yeah. I, 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 I'm not a punk kid. I really don't even like punk rock. I really just don't. I like, I like all. I rock genuinely, music. I genuinely understand that it's good music. And I don't get it, right? To go back to the beginning yeah. of the cover, I just don't get it. Like, yeah. but I have respect for it. Yeah. I understand the history and where it yeah. lies, and more importantly, what it inspired. Mm. So it matters, you know. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but um, no, I don't, I don't really consider us a punk band. To to be fair, uh, transparent, I, I think we started out as one, but it's like it, we're a rock band. We just are. Like even that track is like, dude, that's that's rock and roll to me. I mean, it's. If we play it fast enough, it could be punk, but like, sure, it's not. No, I agree. I agree. You know, but there's a punk rock philosophy punk. from back in the day because mm. they, they were the ones rebelling against a three and a half minute thing. Yeah. And they were like, no, I can't remember who said this. I remember hearing it on VH1 when I was a kid before I even played guitar. Oh. I was already into yeah. music and I like was listening to what musicians would I say. I remember those VH1. Yeah. And dude said, dude said, I don't give a fuck if the song's a minute and a half or six and a half minutes. The song is done when it's done, yeah. and I'm not letting any label or producer tell me how long my song needs to be. And I just thought that was the most badass thing. Like the that's most rock and roll as it gets. Fuck you to authority as it gets. Yeah, it's, it, that's as punk rock as it gets. That's as rock and roll as it gets. That's as metal as it gets. That's mm. fuck you to authority in every. You're cutting me checks. You signed me and changed my life, and I'm yeah. still saying fuck you. You can't control me. Like yeah. that is the most rock childish and rock and roll <laughs> shit of all time. Period. But it genuinely influenced me as yeah. an artist as well, because yeah. I actually, when I you sit down spirit. and write songs. And I'm like, that song's done. That's a good song. And it turns around and it's four, four and a half minutes. And people are like, it's a little long. You should try to shave a minute off it. True. My first yeah. response is, fuck you. Yeah. No, the song is the song. And I, and it, part of this, yes. And some people are going, George's just mad because you have a seven minute song and everyone tells him to cut it in half. True. Mm-hmm. You're fucking right. You're fucking right, you guys. I, I do have I a seven-minute song, seven song, and I don't give a fuck that it's seven minutes. I'm not cutting it into two parts, <laughs> and you all can eat fucking shit. I'm keeping my seven-minute song. <laughs> I like but it. even if I didn't have a seven-minute song, yeah. before I wrote songs, I still thought that was a badass fucking thing to say, and that's a straight-up punk rock. Have, yeah. It was a punk rocker who said it. 
So I don't care if it's metal or rock and roll. I will give props because that was a punk rocker who said it. Well, and that is a started. fucking badass mentality. I think the first song to really do that was Like Rolling Stone by Dylan. And what was that, like six minutes? And on the radio before, like they had never done anything past like what, like three or four? And they're like, dude, you got to cut this shit. And he's like, fuck you. Because... That was the cool thing about his, like, narrative, like, writing style was, like, it's it's all kind of, like, one big fucking verse, you know? Like, it, there's just so many verses. And he said he cut it down, because what does that song have, like, four or five verses? There used to be, like, ten or some shit. And he had to cut, like, a bunch of them out. You're probably right. And I'm going to defer to you on this one, because you were probably told this story by your parents, who are musicians, and named you after <laughs> Bob Dylan. So I'm going to trust... I'm, I think I watched some VH1 documentaries, so I'll trust VH1 on this one. You probably didn't hear it through VH1. You probably heard it through your parents who were obsessed with Bob Dylan because they named you after him, and they're also musicians, so they probably know, and it's probably true. But I do got to throw this out there. I thought it was Queen with Bohemian Rhapsody. That's another good one. I thought that was like the first one where like, it, the song's too long. That is a long song when you think about it. Especially at the time it like when it came out. Well, and did you ever notice? Oh, no, no. Okay. No, I'm sorry. It's the other two songs that like they always get played back to back. Like We Will song, Rock You and We Are the Champions. Are the Champions. They, uh, every radio station. I think they've been doing that since like the late 80s or something like that. And where just, are like, we saying become, that it's not weird. one track? Is it two separate tracks on the actual they're CD? They're definitely two separate tracks. Back to back, but they're two separate tracks. I think Are so. they both just so fucking short that oh, they go yeah. directly into each other? Actually, fun fact, the first time I ever played live was the 8th grade talent show to about 2,000 kids in the bleachers, and we did We Will Rock You just so we could get the bleachers fucking like... That's amazing. Get, get them rocking. All I, right. My drummer barely spoke English, and he could only do it. <laughs> You want me to do the doon doon cha? People <laughs> like, are, yes, yes, I do it. People are going to murder me if I don't get us back on track. So, okay. let's, let's Tarantino this bitch. Let's do it. Okay, so you go from the uh, teen center, you get over to we the garage. The first well, we, yeah, we got over to the garage. You start getting schooled by John Wheeler, who's kind of your guy. He starts yeah. teaching you shit. He yep. starts showing you the ropes, because that's what the garage was. It yep. was a training ground. This is a beautiful for the listeners, especially the global listeners especially the global listeners who have no fucking idea what we're talking about. The Garage was an actual music venue in Burnsville, Minnesota. <coughs> is, I think. I think it's still there. It's in Burnsville, Minnesota. It's publicly funded by the city and the police department to give kids in that area a place to go and do cool, constructive shit. They have a professional, and I mean professional, light system and sound yep. system, a professional stage. They have a, a fucking, recording studio now. They have a tier system. So when you're brand new and nobody knows who you are, you go to the side stages and they're in these shitty rooms with shitty PAs and you got to kind of prove yourself in there before you're invited or allowed to get booked on the main stage, yeah. which is where real big bands play from, like actual touring bands that yeah. can draw 1,500 people and they could play at First Avenue, mm -hmm. but they'll play at the garage too because it's that legit of a place. Yeah. So... This was an important place because it wasn't just some gatekeeper hierarchy bullshit. It was an actual training ground to teach musicians how to load on stage, yeah. get ready to play a show, do a sound check, play a legitimate show in mm -hmm. front of a decent crowd with a real sound system, yeah. get the fuck off of stage, learn how to sell merch, 
dude, it was an amazing place, and I hope it still is that same amazing place. Last time I but was this there, is which a is big very deal. recently, was it's, it's, it's better it than It seems ever. like yeah. the same thing, but maybe even better. Okay, so so where does the opportunity to go from the garage to the next place come in? Um, so we were we were doing the garage shows every month. We would go to their meetings every. It was like the first Monday of every month, and you could go and get on a show. And we just wanted to play. We like we want, we had a good summer where we like <clears throat> we hit it running. Played every local and regional battle of the bands that we could. We any anybody that would have us. Because we were so young, we couldn't even get on an actual bill. So what we did was we started doing all these, like, there was, like, grand old days and the taste of Minnesota and, okay, it, this is, like, a moment in time that might not ever happen again. Like, we played this Battle of the Bands in the Mall of America, and it was supposed to be this fashion show. So we went into Ragstock, and we got, like, we were basically in fucking drag. And, like, we just had these stupid, it was the only time we broke our outfit code. And we went and did this, it was a two-day battle where you, like, had these like judges who were blah blah blah, you know, so and so from so and so. This dude gave me his card, and I swear to God, it was Island Def Jam Records. And he's like, I helped sign Fallout Boy and Sum 41 and blah blah blah. You guys are gonna be the next that. And uh Do you feel like you were being bullshitted a little bit? Um, I think he lost his job a week later. <laughs> fucking horrible timing in the industry. There's there's this thing called Black Friday, and not the good kind. And it was basically in 2007 when like 80% of like the, f the, the fat got trimmed in like label staff all across the major labels. And like that's when kind of the bubble popped. And unfortunately that was when we were coming up as a band. So for people that don't, I know exactly, but for people that don't understand what you're saying, break that down. So when the bubble popped, when people were trimming the fat, what does that mean basically, to break that down to people? all these people who... So basically, like, major labels used to have, like, the, the country had money. So, like, and we were signing bands, and, like, we were trying to find the next Killers and Strokes and Sum 41 and whatever the next phase was going to be, you know? And this is, like, post-internet. This is even technically post-Napster, but yeah. it's pre-iTunes, it's, pre-Spotify. It's, it, it was the iTunes era. It was, like, pre-Spotify. It was, it was... iTunes existed, but it wasn't what it, was, it is today. It was today. kind of like that, that emo era into like the Warp Tour era, 2006 to through 2008, where it was like, yeah, the bubble kind of burst, and like, yeah, labels were like not able to do what they were able to do anymore. Like CDs weren't selling anymore. It was, it was like no man's land. And so, yeah, all these label staff got fired, and bands like us who probably, you know, would have gotten some more recognition, uh... It just, yeah, all our, I remember that. It was just such a weird age to be 18 years old and, like, have these people telling you that stuff. But anyways, so we we kept going. Then we started, I remember Drive 105. Do you remember that radio station? Yeah. Okay, so they. I mean, 105 still around. They're just not like Drive. 105, yeah. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, we, this is 2007 again. Yeah, we. Uh, My darling eyes. We, we had won this, like, you battle. Can't get enough of your yep. love, baby. We, we had, we, <laughs> I'm God. sorry, I had to. You said Love 105, bro. Oh, yeah. I had to, I'm sure they I had play to that break it out, dude. 90 times in I think that's Isaac Hayes. Is that uh, Isaac yeah. Hayes or Barry White? That's Isaac Hayes. It's right? one of them, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, I remember, yeah, doing those, those regional battles, and then all of a sudden we're on the Taste of Minnesota main stage. That was our first time playing. In so this, this guy approaches you, but then he loses his job a week later. So where's that next step that comes in? Well, like, like, that was what so kept happening. So people are approaching you. 
that was what kept happening is like that happened then we won this battle at taste of minnesota we played in front of all these people opened up for the whalers and the gear daddies and all these bands and our first time on like a festival stage like the whalers the whalers yeah like bob marley's whalers yeah that's amazing it was rad and uh yeah so we i don't know we, we were supposed to have a big interview on drive 105 and they're supposed to print our cds and that's the thing all these battles we had won studio time it was one of the main like prizes so we won all this money i think we made 10 grand in a summer playing regional battle of the bands just started slaying we went from like couldn't do anything with this dumbass punk band to like we just won everything people couldn't get enough of us we were the band the young band at the time and then and yeah. how and so this process you started this when you were in high school but this then is you started the, this is this the summer at, as i was graduating okay like, so you're 19 i played four to six times a week for an entire summer and made probably over ten thousand dollars and we're selling merch that's crazy that's for an 18 year old dude and that's not bad that doesn't happen are you anymore. saying you were the band well the band okay you know so so you're looking at and and man when you're that age that's not that bad especially back then so you're you're making about three grand a month maybe 3500 a month because it's three months over the summer right you yeah. said 10 grand so then you take that well you that's, divide that's that just by the three money people, people making but we also went all the studio time, which is probably thirty grand or more worth of studio but time. But your kids, though, hold on, hold on, let's slow down. So our whole EP was paid for. I want to make sure make sure people can try to be in your shoes through this story, yeah, right? Because we're, we're moving quick. Or eighteen years old, right? You're making a thousand dollars a month as a child, as a fucking child. You're making a thousand dollars a month, probably about that, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, ten grand over three months yeah. over the summer, right? You're working your ass off though, because you just said you're playing five, six days a we week. Practiced every day. We did, yeah. We we did this every day. But that was the weird thing was that was my senior year. As I'm supposed to be getting ready for college, I'm like, fuck that. I want to so do this. So this is obviously somewhere in this process. Someone in the band, probably you, mm -hmm. goes. I think we can do this for real. Like I, this is I going was, well. The other guys were kind of more like, well, we're college. just having fun. Yeah. yeah. But I had more time with them because sure. I was I was two two or three years older. Okay. And so, but yeah, then we we get noticed at the garage. We do a battle there towards the end of the summer to open up for Quiet Drive at First Avenue, and we win that. And then I think we had a that was our third time playing at First Avenue because we we did like the next big thing, Battle of the Bands. We beat a bunch of like these pro bands, these rich kids who had a ton of money, ton of gear. We had shit amps, shit gear. Who we didn't won? Give a fuck. We won at first half. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, we won the next big thing in two thousand seven. We won Grand Old Days. We won. Did we win Taste of Minnesota? We we won like like seven or eight big ones in a row. And which and is this because you had built a following and people were coming out and voting for you, or was this because? We were so damn Whatever good. you were doing was impressing judges Both. that were voting for you. Both. And we just wanted it. I knew I did. I was having the time of my life. I had my best friends playing punk rock or just rock in general. I won't even, I won't even narrow it to that because it was more, it still is, it's more than that. We're a great rock band when we're at our best. But yeah, so we started doing all that. Then we get to the opportunity to play First Ave a couple times in a row. And then the big crescendo being Christmas show with Quiet Drive, 2007, and that curtain comes up and there's over a thousand people in that room. And that was like, holy shit. That was my first experience of like, How holy. many people? I mean, what does the room hold? 1,800? First half? And we opened 
Fruits and, Ave, I think, is legally 15. Yeah, I think they Correct. oversold. Guys, I know there's only a couple of you watching right this moment, but there is a couple of you still watching. Please Google that for me so I don't have to distract from this. But let's, I, let's just double check this. What is the legal capacity for First Avenue? First Avenue. The main room. I think it's 1,500. It's probably around there, yeah. But that's a I've lot heard, of fucking I've people, heard that dude. Back in the day, they could let 18 in I'm sure. people came I'm sure, there. yeah, because they do like a rotation thing. Yeah. And cause, Especially if there's a few bands. Yeah. Star Central was like that. Star Central had a legal capacity of 888. Mm. But I know for a fact, because I knew three people that booked that place, yeah. that they would sell thirteen to 1,500 tickets depending on the deal. Because yeah. they knew there was overflow room. And there was people that wouldn't show up or they'd only stay part of the time, you know? Yeah. So they way, over, door, way yeah. oversell shows. And hey, I remember money, the yeah. first time I played in front of a sold out crowd was at Star Central. I was an opening band. I know the room wasn't even full, but it was sold out. So the room was almost full yeah. for the opening band. It's a crazy and look, it isn't was, it? Dude, it was pretty... Intense, intense man it was that. it was pretty intense because <laughs> cool. joe was in the world joe was such a great light and sound guy that me as the singer as a lead singer without an instrument on these big shows there would be a little island that you could walk out onto as a lead singer on the catwalk yeah <laughs> i mean it was only four feet long but yes but it was an extra like four the feet biggest fucking rock star well, it, well not only that, that not only that dude but it takes the crowd from being just in front of you to being around, almost completely yeah. around you so it's you look cool. this way you look that way and you look this way and there's people as far as you can see yeah and then every once in a while jill would pop the room lights on just for a brief moment oh that's, and i could that see to the end of the room amazing bro and like the ego trip i went through man over it's a fucked. seven year arch of being <laughs> 17 18 years old when i jumped in to 25 years old when i i never headlined one of these sold out crowds but we became one of my bands we got a call again because I was tight with the owners, I was tight with the bookers, I was tight with the promoters, I was tight with the buyers. Like I was in the industry, right? And I was trying to make the step from being more than just a musician. So I was in a lot of conversations. And I got a call one time, and I'm not going to name the band because I'm not trying to clout chase, right? But there was a band who was struggling to sell out the rock. And there was an argument and a debate amongst the bookers and promoters on who should be the direct support band that's going to help sell out the venue. And my band got the call. And I was, I was privy to this conversation beforehand. And when I got the call, I knew. I knew what was up. So I played it smooth and I was like, please just like, don't make us open. Like, at least please give us second on the bill. And he's like, well, we were going to have you play direct support, but if you want to play second and I was like, no, 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 we'll take direct support. <laughs> but dude, that crowd was like legit. So now we're playing direct support. We're not opening on a band on a bill that sold out. Yeah. We're direct support. We're, we're not the reason it got sold out, but we're a large part of that puzzle. And bro, I went on that stage and I remember my adrenaline, there was no nerves. There was, I was not nervous because I was prepared. It was one of the first nights of my music career. I also didn't have anxiety because usually I get anxiety before a show because I'm sick of waiting and I just want to go on stage. 
like i can't kill any more time man yeah. like i'm trying to keep my blood pressure low i'm trying to keep my fucking heart rate low i'm trying to conserve energy but i gotta be warmed up like it's this weird balance before you go on stage right dude when that fucking oh the way we did it man i'm telling you it was like I can legitimately never play another show and still at 80 years old, as long as I have my memories, I can close my eyes and go, I did that. So yeah. remember, remember how I said there's a lot of bands who don't ever play their first show. There's a lot of bands who don't play first Avenue main stage. There's a lot of bands. There's a lot of people in this world who've never experienced what I, they just never got to that point. Yeah. And even though I didn't sell out Target Center, even though I didn't open for Metallica, like you said, yet, that one moment is enough for me to go, I didn't waste any time. Yeah. I didn't Fair. fuck up. Like, we achieved some shit. And yeah. there's millions of people in this world who haven't done what we've done. Yeah. And like, you're right, dude. When you see that thousand people, when that fifteen hundred people, and I want I want you to take me through your experience. But as we get to know each other through this journey, mm -hmm. it's for me it was really crazy because I had to stop being a lead singer because there was something about being a lead singer that brought out the best of me as a performer. But walking off stage was like this huge lever to shut that off. I even named him. I had an alter ego when I was on stage, and once that switch got flipped, I couldn't turn it off. Hmm. And sometimes it took days. Yeah. And his name's Jared Lee Roth, because <laughs> he's an asshole, and he's <laughs> the most arrogant rock star who's ever existed. <laughs> it's not a good thing. Yeah. So I had to quit being a lead singer altogether. Like, I also wasn't very good at it, <laughs> so that helped a lot. But... When, uh, when those things started to happen to me, man, not only was it fulfilling and it made it all seem worth it and I can look back and say I achieved some shit, but at the time for me, it wasn't healthy for my, yeah. my own internal health, for my own internal ego, that sense of self. My ego became too big. My sense of self became widened to where I was a bull in a china shop everywhere I went. Yeah. And it hurt me and it hurt my career. What when you started going through that, especially at that young age, your hormones are still driving, your brain's not fully developed, yeah. your body's not even fully developed, shit. True. I mean, as men, we don't really stop growing physically until we're like 24, 25. Yeah. Like, we really don't. Like, I'm sorry if you yeah. guys think we do, we don't. It's, this is science, <laughs> like, and every athlete on the planet can back me up on this. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the truth. No, what agree. was it like for you to go from, because it, it sounds like you went whoop, like straight to the top, but no, mm -hmm. it was just like most of us. It was this gradual it was. introduction and you kind of got the ropes of things. So all of a sudden you get first Ave main stage. Obviously somebody else sold out the crowd because you just said you're opening, but first Ave has got a different vibe. That room pretty much was full. Yeah. Because that's what you do at first Ave. It's a real concert venue, meaning... People show up for the opening bands. They yeah. want to be there when doors open. Yeah. So you, you, you had this amazing, brilliant, unique experience as a very young musician in that town. What's going through your head at the beginning of the set? The lights come on. The show starts. 
I don't care who I don't care how the so- the set starts. I don't give a fuck if it's your bass player or your drummer or you strumming your guitar or you coming out and the spotlight's on you. It doesn't matter. However it starts, and I want you to tell me how it starts, but here's the real question is explain this exact moment to me how this set starts and it doesn't matter how, but it I want you to tell me and then you see this crowd. Your your experience You've paid your dues. You've earned this opportunity. It wasn't just handed to you. Yeah. What's going through your head at that exact moment? You're young as fuck. How old are you? 19, 20, 21 years old? 18 years old. Um, Pull that mic back to you just a little bit. I am 18 years old. And yeah, it's to this day, I, I don't want to try to live in the past, but it's, it's, Memories are all we have at the end of the day. I truly do, do believe that. So um, I think that from what I can recall, it was, I, I had a thing planned where you have a curtain there, kind of like at the garage where like the curtain goes up and we didn't have like a, like a projector light show or we weren't that fancy, but I had this little like sound cue thing. I was like, oh, we need some sort of like intro. So we know when like the set starts because the, the set did start with, uh me playing this like guitar riff and like starting the song and uh so yeah like i hear like the music starting that i made in like my little computer in GarageBand <laughs> and gave to the sound guy and yeah i just see the curtain go up and a little light comes on and i start saying uh, uh, uh and like it's it's this like single so you part. start the set yeah and it was the hook of the song kind of starts the song and then it kicks in and then it keeps coming back to that. So do you start with the guitar, or yeah. do you start singing and playing at I the sing, same time? I sing singing and playing guitar. So you walk up to the mic. Uh, are the light the uh, lights are dim? Yeah. You walk up to the yeah. microphone. I'm in all white. Like friggin are you are painter. you nervous? Are you nervous overthinking, making sure your guitar's up and on? Oh yeah. Don't don't over you question pl- everything. Don't, don't yeah. double don't double tap the strings. Don't <laughs> as you're no, walking up. At the time, I was just like we were playing such intense situations, and I'm the only guitar player. We had kicked our guitar player out and so like i remember getting this guitar and stringing it up with the heaviest strings i could standard tuning and just like oh like every before every set just like tuning the shit out of it stretching the shit out of the strings just because i just i didn't care about i'm never gonna be like the shredder but i needed to be absolutely rock solid in tune yeah. perfect yeah and just like no frills we're playing power chords but like like every like that was what was cool about us. We were tight as balls, and that was our strength. And simple, but we we meant it, you know. And so like that that was what kind of kicked in. It was the curtain goes up. We kicked in into this song. Is there so you start playing this riff and you start singing yeah. at the same time? Do they put a singular spotlight on you? They did. And then the curtain goes up. And then as soon as we kick in, it was like the lighting guy knew what to do, and it just everything blew up. And you talk about that light that they kick on sometimes with where it's like the main of the crowd. The house lights, yeah. I remember that, yeah, because you have like, we weren't cool enough to have like, I call them the ego booster boxes. Yeah! And so, yeah! you know what I'm talking about, where you, you yep! get up on them, yep! and I even have Break a Break it, tell people that don't know okay. what an ego booster so, is. Yeah. Because that's band, literally, you ego box, these. ego box, ego booster, they're the same exact yeah, thing. ego booster box. So, yeah, it started a million years ago where, yeah, you could... It's basically like a monitor that you can like jump up on. Like the a rock, little, yeah, like used a to box. Have them. Yeah. yeah, 
but now you but can make them. But it gives you them. an extra six inches to a foot above everybody else. Well, and now the thing is you can make them at home to put a light in it. Yeah. So like, so like you can like, and then you kick it on with your foot. And so like you hop up there and it just like, is this like uh, fucking uh, thing. And, um, I have one in my basement right now. I got a but, buddy. I got a buddy who built one and he's got, it's got the aluminum grates. Oh yeah. The long way, right? Mm-hmm. The tall way. So it's, it's, uh, porous. Yeah. Really porous. The huge gaps, like, like fucking half inch gaps. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only does he have a light in it, but he's also got two fans underneath it. Oh, cool. So when he yeah. jumps on it, the fans kick in on oh high and his hair blows. <laughs> it's like fucking white snake. Yeah. 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 It's cool. fucking amazing. He's I, not I, from here. He's not from Minneapolis. That's why everyone's that. like, who's he talking about? He's not from Minneapolis. None of you guys know who he is. I want to go but, see it just for that. No, it's amazing. He's in, he's in an 80s hair metal tribute band. Of course he is. They're, they're an East Coast <laughs> deal. They go all of, I don't Honestly, I don't even remember where he's actually from because every time I talk to him, he's living, living in a different city south carolina north carolina florida fucking i don't know where the dude's actually from but no he's a cool cat but yeah so uh yeah we rock through our first absent i remember um the ego just being yeah we didn't have those at the time but we had these shitty little like monitors that we like taped together we were that drive we were just like we were taping our shoes together at the at before the sets we were just like these like degenerate little suburban kids and yeah we yeah we hopped up on there and like i remember hopping into like like the guardrail and like trying to crowd surf and stuff and getting in trouble for throwing our shirts into the audience and just whatever (laughs) belligerent shit we were doing um we used to let kids write on us with sharpies we'd like get hand that to a kid in the crowd and just let them draw on us and like we were like belligerent you know we would always find like a crappy acoustic and like we had this one part in this one song where we just make noise with it and we'd throw it into the crowd or smash it or whatever. I mean, we, we just wanted to make a show, right? you know, and it's, it's like the, yeah, the Beatles, when they were playing in Germany, probably the best they ever were. And there's not even any footage of it. They were like, Machschau, Machschau. And that was like, give them a show. And so we were always like, we're never going to be able to fucking shred like Van Halen. We're, we're never going to be the best players but we have good songs with energy and we mean it. So like our whole thing is like, how crazy can we go and get everybody else to go? And so I think that's still like, what's important about the band. Like whenever we go play live, there's gotta, it's like weird. It's like, we gotta have this thing. We got it. Like, what am I doing tonight? Like, I remember the band that I was in after Soviet machines, the modern era, we were banned for almost 10 years and our our live shows in town got pretty like ridiculous. And I remember at, we played when the Triple Rock closed, and we played their last week of shows. And one night we like I crowd surfed on like a blow up like piece of pizza. And you were in the last week. Yeah, yeah, nice, of the dude. Triple Rock. And we blew up all these balloons to like throw it to the crowd, and all the green ones had pot smoke in it. <laughs> There's this cloud of smoke. And what we hand blew them like in the back yeah. dude that's the smartest oh my god dude <laughs> that is i'm stealing that shit bro blow up balloons are, yeah. blow up balloons <laughs> with weed smoke in them yeah. tie them up and then dude, while your set is going you put them out in the crowd and fucking you have a few cats just yeah. a couple cats in the crowd that know to pop those green balloons mm-hmm. how many of them do you need to get everybody in the room baked. 
do the math. I, That's the new plan. We're doing this at every fucking show until they bust you us. Would, you would probably have to like pump it in with something because like for us, we would like hand blow it from bowls or whatever into yeah. balloons. I don't think it works that well. Like when you pop it, like I don't know if there's enough there's actual enough. smoke in there. If you're hot yeah, boxing it, so like, like the longer you venue, the longer you hold the weed in your lungs, the more you absorb. Right. So if you're just going. <gasps> If you're just like hot box and that smoke, shit, yeah. you're getting not only more smoke, but keeping more THC in that. And okay. if you could do, actually, you know, it would be even better. You remember those old volcano things? You oh, fucking, we had one of those. We fucked yeah, one of those and, they, and it had a balloon, right? Yeah. You just yeah. hook a real balloon up Stepped to it. Back, yeah. I mean, you're going to spend a couple ounces of weed, but bro, if I'm, yeah. we're doing this. We're doing this. This is a <laughs> fucking... Down. Dude, we're doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's what I love about shows in general is just like how crazy can we make it? I, I smashed a guitar. I like fucking hit my head. I chipped my tooth. We had like a bottle of champagne. Uh, you know, spray that into the crowd. Crowd surfing, moshing. There's old footage out there of, of all the modern era stuff where like our shows in town were just insanity. And it was so much fun. So I like, as I'm bringing this band back, I'm really... Uh, Hoping that we can reinstill that spirit because I, I hate just watching people just be bored and fucking. Our our music commands people to get involved. I feel like the amount of energy at a show is directly related to the, the intricacy band? of the music. That true, yeah. Like the, the more vibe, yeah. the more intricate and intellectual your music, the less people will go crazy. Mm. Unless your music is catchy and easy to sing along with. Yeah. So hear me out. Bands like Opeth. Oh, right? yeah. Seeing them live at the main room. Fantastic. The, the most boring crowd, though. You're right. I mean, people... They yeah, just stand there. Well, they're an ex it's an experience. Yeah. And I, I understand. I get that. Okay. Okay. Hear me out. Yeah. Okay. Then you go to a band like Van Halen. Okay. Super intricate, but easy to sing along with. Okay, mm -hmm. Metallica, super intricate, easy to sing along with. Uh, fucking even Cannibal Corpse, right? Super intricate, but the fucking like the banger grooves, they're easy to dance to. You yeah. see, there's like a there's like a balance to the intricacy. Okay, I feel that Dream Theater, boring crowd. Mm -hmm. Sorry, boring crowd. Coheed and Cambria, very intricate music. Very easy to sing along with. That crowd yeah. doesn't mosh, but Coheed and Cambria, man, have you been to a Coheed show? I've seen them at like Warped a bunch of times. A bunch of times? Okay, so you probably actually know exactly what I'm yeah. about to say. That crowd does not go crazy, but their fans sing every lyric yeah. to every song. It's not like a normal... Dude, yeah. and if you go to the Armory or you go to the fucking Myth or the Quest or wherever the fuck, wherever they happen to be playing, as long as they're headlining, that entire room is singing every lyric to every song. I've never yeah. seen that happen at any other show. They usually sing the choruses or the call-in answer parts or yeah. the catchy... Whatever, right? But these motherfuckers, it's like a cult following, bro. The Coheed, that's what we all want. The Coheed audience sings every lyric to every song. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So even as intricate as it is, there's a different vibe. Even though they're not moshing, but I feel like the protest. The heroes is another great example. Extremely technical band, 
but their music's so catchy and easy to sing along with that the crowd still goes crazy. I agree, yeah. But if you think about it, it's like the, the I don't want to say run-of-the-mill, because that sounds shitty and condescending. Um, the, I don't want to say basic, but the normal. The normal, just like metal bands, rock bands, punk bands. Those have the craziest crowds. The more technical, intri- like a Megadeth crowd. Yeah. You know, like they're not going nuts. There might be a small pit in the center, but it's not like. Well, they're, they're almost. You see what there, I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. I know this they're, sounds they're, like they're, I'm stretching here. No, it sounds no, like I, I'm doing yoga. It's almost like they're more of like it's like an admiration thing. It's like a musician's musician. You know, like you, they're there to like. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. Or even like I went and saw you know Alice in Chains with a friend of mine who's like really into Alice in Chains, and I loved it. Um. And I was one of the people in the crowd where it's just like, you're kind of just like taking it in, especially for me not being a heart, because I grew up as a Nirvana kid, you know, like Nirvana and then like the next wave with like Green Day and Weezer and stuff like that was all, uh, it just resonated with me because the songs were there. And it's like you said, like sometimes something can be so simple and like, you know, it's distilled into this thing where it's like very streamlined and very simple and it's hard, it's rare, and that's why bands like that are rare, where it's like sometimes they just have those songs that are just undeniable, you know? I don't, I'm not comparing you to this band, but a great example of what I'm talking about, to, to kind of put in perspective so everybody understands what you're going through this night, or in general, in your band. Like, we mm-hmm. may not be Van Halen and Shred, but we're going to put on a fucking show and throw everything we have into it. Yeah. Uh, that seems obvious as a performer, right? Because if you're not shredding, you can move around a lot more. Yeah. Most of us as musicians understand this. So what I'm trying to extrapolate is the idea that the crowd has a similar reaction. Yeah. A very, it's symbiotic. Each other, yeah, yeah, it's symbiotic, right? Yeah. I'm not comparing you to this band, but here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Limp Bizkit. Mm. Limp Bizkit is the perfect example. Because I've been seeing clips from them they're apparently they're out playing again yeah yeah they made a new album i haven't heard it yet dude their fucking shows are still like unreasonable like like there's fucking drunk dudes in the balconies like throwing down shirtless like fucking like it's like oh man like i'm not a fan and fred durst is definitely a piece of shit and no i will never fucking oh but if you want to come on the but no fuck fred durst like no (laughs) <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Fuck. Drivers. Apparently, they have made some like whole like their like images like dad rock now. Yeah, I, I don't liked, give a fuck. I always liked the guitar player, the the West Borland. West dude, is dope. Who, who always had like the fucking goth. He's like, skeleton image. West cool. Borland is an exceptional musician. Like yeah, absolutely. Didn't he like top leave tier. the band and then yep. came back or something yep. like that? Yeah. Yep. And he is typical, he yeah. he is the only reason Limp Bizkit made it or has any credibility at all as a music group fred yeah. durst might be a business genius and an a and r like cool cool but wes wes is wes is legit yeah i always liked and him i'll fucking i'll fight somebody if they want to try to tell me wes is bullshit like mm-hmm. no wes is mm-hmm. legit dude he's he's really incredible but that's a great example of that simpler music that's not overly shreddy and complicated. And not only does the band throw down, but the crowd goes nuts as well. Well, agreed. And I think we saw that. I mean, there's been a few phases, of, like when punk came or when 
you know, uh, when the seventies like rock hit, or uh, even the, you know the British invasion, where like that kind of like because we had rock and roll, and the kids here were going for that. But then like when you had like the Beatles and the Stones coming out, or the Kinks, like the darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it, and it just had this fucking attitude that we didn't have at the time, and it kind of kicked that door open. Um, the Who, you know, all that. So you're you seem to be influenced or Nirvana. You, you know? seem to really be influenced. Uh, by the British musicians, I think uh, I don't know. I'm pre- I, I guess I'm pretty atypical for like Mr. Midwestern songwriter for where I came up at the time that I did. Like I got raised on the Beatles and songwriting and and fucking okay. John Lennon's important because fucking this, and Dylan is cool because of this, you know. And then discovering punk on my own, and then. You know, because my dad played in a band in the 90s, so he's like, honestly, everything did change with Nirvana, you know, because he's like, I mean, I love Guns N' Roses, too. He was like, I was playing that shit for five years, but overnight, it was like, this dude kind of came in, and like, dude, him and him and Grohl just had this thing. He had the songs, and Grohl and Chris had, had the power behind it, and they just, they kicked music in the ass, and just made it like... I don't know. It's it's somehow almost punk. Like he loved punk. You know, I don't I don't like the term grunge and neither did they, but like, you know, just like they they just kicked the door open. And I think, you know, then a few years later, bands like Green Day helped bring better punk shit to the mainstream. Got it out of just obscurity, you know. And uh and even bands like The Foos and stuff. Cuz grunge like, really does seem like punk 2.0. I agree. I think so. It really does because like so the way they teach this in school is like the evolution of music, right? Yeah, and I like, took that class. And like where where punk rock came from is yeah. like it was guys who had a message and they had something to say but they didn't even know how to play their instruments. So That's not the most important part. Right, but the like this is just like attitude. that exactly, right? And they had really had something to say because it was a lot about fucking some weird European politics. That's where it mm. really truly started from. But then there was the second wave, you know, one point one or one point two, whatever you want to call it, of punk, where it was like you started getting into guys like the Ramones and stuff that could actually play the instruments and like they, mm-hmm. they kind of started writing songs, but it really wasn't about being good or great guitar players or drummers. It, it was, was bubblegum. It was they still, like, but like it was still about, about the message. Short song. Even yeah. the Sex Pistols, right? It yeah. was still way more about the lyrics and the message. The statement. And like, yeah, the statement. Like, we're here, like, fuck you. Exactly, yeah. right? And then that kind of gave birth to hardcore, yeah. which is where, yep. where guys had a message and it, everything, there. it was very punk rock in that aspect but they were really good at their instruments and they oh, dude, really like, gave Fugazi a fuck and, and all they that were shit, fucking yeah. good dude yeah. and they were really good and then then those things like kind of went to the complete absolute underground yeah and you had things like butt rock and you know things like pink floyd and all kinds of other things dominating the airwaves and like punk rock was just such a weird like yeah the ramones had a couple bangers the sex pistols had a couple bangers and yes they were on the radio yeah but it just wasn't like 
Well, even like the Clash, then they started to go reggae, and like it just changed. Right, right, right. The it, end of the '80s was weird, yeah. right? And then the all jam, of a sudden, yeah. in the early '90s, out of nowhere, which really it had started years before that, but it was built, yeah. But then all of a sudden, 80s, yeah. grunge showed up with Nirvana, and that was like the closest thing to actual punk. Again, not not the original version. Not the not the one that nobody knows about, but where like they wrote good songs and shit, like the yeah. Ramones again, right? Like yeah. the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and shit. But not only was it catching on, it became the biggest thing in the world. That's that's really the point here is that that Nirvana is like kind of punk two point yeah. If you think about it, the biggest thing is it was slower, way slower. Yeah, the tempos got dropped down. Fucking the it started grooving. It was like groovy punk almost. Uh, yeah, I think Chris. Uh, That's why they called Nirvana, it grunge. That's well, why they renamed it because it's he not called them punk. Dissonant punk. He said there was a lot of dissonance in the chord structures and the things where it was just like it wasn't the same. You know, A to D to E. You know, like that standard Ramones formula, which they still loved, and that's why a lot of the Nirvana outtakes and the you know the there's so much, you know, B-sides and all that. And a lot of that shit is, like, them literally trying to replicate punk. Right. But it was funny because, yeah, it's funny how it goes. Like, after we recorded with Jack and Dino and Steve Albini now, and we've recorded at Pachyderm, so I guess Butch Vig is the only main Nirvana one that we haven't really uh, tracked Did with. you know? Butch, get at us, man. Did you know that the, the original tape-to-tape -tape machine that Nirvana Nevermind was recorded on mm -hmm. is in northeast Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. But they, they did a weird I, hybrid I, I hung out with those dudes over there. Because they, I think they did the reel-to-reel, -reel, but the, it was early Pro Tools. But they used to have to wait because it would crash all the time. Yeah, they were... They Which were, Fig talks about in the I think documentary. You're, I think you're right. If I remember correctly, it's like they were using a computer interface to visualize and see yeah. the waves, and it made it easier to cut the music yep. because it would tell them... It would basically timestamp the tape for them so their yeah. cuts could be more precise. Yep. But they weren't really recording digitally. It yeah. was they were still recording very much analog, if yeah. I remember right. But um well, they did that for a few years. It was like this hybrid stage. I mean, Beck Odelay is another one where they talk about that, about the early days of like trying to push tape into Pro Tools and all that shit. I'm so I'm I'll be honest, I'm I'm glad I'm in the era that I'm in. Maybe I haven't like made it, made it yet, but like, oh, whatever. Fuck it, man. 20, 33 is the new 23. But uh, fucking, I, I'm so glad that it's easier now to record digitally and make it sound however you want once you know what you want. And that's the thing is like when I was a kid, you think that like, well, tape's just different and it, it does sound different. And like, that's why we like. It has a sound. That's why we went, we went to Steve Albini. Finally, after years and years, I actually just saw him at First Ave the other night. And we, we finally did that to see what it was all about, you know. We went and did the fucking all analog thing. And it was fucked up because we went out there, we just made that record with Jack and Dino. Where he's digital, but a very tape mentality. No click track, wants the band live in the room, minimal overdubs, like get the sounds you want. Sometimes an SM58 is the only mic you need. Like, he's really... Fuck yeah, dude. He has this interesting old school, but also new school mentality. Um, 
I, I, he's my still it's kind of like day, what we were talking about before we started the podcast is like these motherfuckers know what they're doing they have a lot of fucking wisdom and the only thing we do need to do is take their wisdom and philosophies and adapt them yep. to the new model yeah you're one of the first people who finished that sentence for me like as i was trying to describe that idea you literally cut me off and finish word for word the rest of the sentence well, and it was like page. <laughs> well right and it was like again to to again to make another callback is like it's making as i get to know you throughout this evening including the hour before we started the podcast it just makes more and more sense why jesse was like dude you gotta you got i think i think you need to get <laughs> this bad. dude on your podcast <laughs> well and it just it makes a good podcast but it there also has to be the conversation, but it also, I think, I think he understands the greater vision, right? Which is like, if we can all get together and start exchanging information from a genuine, honest perspective, right? With a, with a good, um, with a good faith argument, with a good faith position, the rising tide does raise all ships. And that's something yeah. I preach from day one. And that's a phrase that's finally starting to catch on in this town. You're going to start hearing that more and more, like literally when you're hanging out, fucking rising tide raises all ships. That's some shit I brought up day one. And, and that's, that's taken two fucking years of podcasting of religiously preaching that because I genuinely believe that if your band that. does better, venues do better. If yeah. venues do better, other bands do better. When all of these bands do better, me as a podcaster does better. When this podcast gets bigger, every fan we get, every viewer on YouTube, every subscriber, every fucking new international listener, that's a bigger platform for when you guys come on and play your music videos yeah. and your singles. That's more people. The rising tide legitimately raises all ships. All I'm trying to do is get us all paid. That's all I want, man. Same, it's yeah. so no more of us because I am sick and tired and I'm fucking fired up about this and I will die on this fucking hill, bro. I am sick and fucking tired of watching elite, not good, not great, elite level musicians go, dude, yeah, I get it, man. It's great. But dude, I got a kid now. Mm-hmm. I got to get a real job. No, yeah. this is a real job. This is a career. Yeah. This is something we dedicate our fucking lives to, bro. Like, this is something we sacrifice friendships and family relationships for. We oh, fucking yeah. miss birthdays and weddings and anniversaries oh, yeah. because we got <laughs> tour dates and shows and we got to pick up because opportunities are yeah. too big right because huh. we have obligations like i booked the show already like i would love to be there but the show must go on old hollywood to. shit right the yeah. show must go we don't cancel dates because my buddy decided to put his fucking wedding in the middle of my tour yeah i would love to be in your wedding this happened to me by the way i'm speaking from his perspective oh, but this happened that. to me like i'm like hey man i'm getting married here's the date can you come and he's like uh i'm on tour and I went, no problem, totally get it. I'm not butthurt by it, but he missed being at his friend's wedding. I'm not saying he's going to regret it, but these are the sacrifices we make. Yeah, no, I missed my dad's wedding on Halloween. We were supposed to do the Dumb and Dumber tuxes. I was oh, supposed to do the, the blue, blue and he was going to do oh. the orange. Um, but I was on tour with Quiet Drive at the time. And at the time, they had a top 10 single with that Time After Time cover. They were selling out first half. I mean, you know, like, they were at the top of their game. I think right before I joined, they did two nights at the State Fair. You know, like, two of their biggest gigs, you know. And, um, yeah, man, I, and my dad totally understood. 
Right. Right. And I'm not. And I I hope people understand. And I hope people understand. I'm not trying to paint a pity party. No, no, no. The point is, is is I get upset. I get upset when guys make all of these sacrifices. Like you've already paid all the dues. Yeah. And you're right on the fucking verge of making it. And then you give up. I'm sick and tired of guys in Minneapolis feeling like they need to either make that choice or in order to make it or make money, they got to leave this town and they either got to go to LA or Nashville. Yeah. Why can't we be Nashville? You know, Nashville's smaller than us, like population wise. Yeah. Yeah. LA's bigger than us, but they're not a better music town than us. There's just 30, there's more people in LA. Well, to be safe, I'm going to say California, but LA, I'm still going to say LA. There's more people in LA than there is in the entire country of Canada. No, it's, it's, it's (laughs) crazy saturated. Um, It's not a better place though, is what I'm getting at, man. And, and, we just got to get our shit together, dude. We do. Like, we and need I've, to I've been just, frustrated uh, about this my whole life. Is is that, yeah, the the Minneapolis, Min, Twin Cities music scene seems just so like, okay, there's a ton of venues and there's a ton of bands and there's a ton of talent. And I spent 10 years trying to integrate, trying to like meet the bands because they tell you all this you have, when you have managers and shit when you're 18 years old. Oh, how do I make my show good? You flyer, you sell tickets, you go to parties, you go see shows, you go meet bands, you go meet people. And we did that for 10 years, man. Yeah. And we got to the point where we were selling out shows in town. This is perfect segue. So let me, let me do that old debate thing, right? Yeah. Where I'm going to say the resolve. Yeah. And then we're going to chase this down. Right? Okay, do it. And I'm going to mention your boy, John Wheeler. Do it up. He's the one who convinced me to do this because I lose track and we, this is such a ranty, ravey podcast. We go on tangents. Yeah, yeah. Here's I'm the resolve. Here's the resolve. Decentralization is a buzzword right now. Okay. But in the music industry, decentralization isn't necessarily a good thing. And here's yeah. my idea. You just explained it in detail. Mm-hmm. You just go do this. You just go do that and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't actually work like that. I wish. Here's the comparison. If you want to play football, very simple. You play in high school, then you apply to colleges. If you're lucky, you'll get recruited. If not, you try to be a walk-on. Then you play in college. If you're lucky, you get drafted. If not, you try to be a fucking walk-on, right? Like, there's a clear, direct path, and it's it's absolutely 100% evaluatable by your talent and your yeah. production with stats yeah we don't have that in the music industry however we used to have shit like what you described and what i described at the garage at first avenue at um where i came from which was joe joe spanbauer and bill barry and shannon brettel running uh booking a, a trio of bands that rotated through a series of venues including first yeah. avenue main stage there was a power structure and people call these people gatekeepers. But at Fair. the same time, at the same time though, is what they also were, were mentors. Yeah. And they were, they were make, they weren't just keeping a gate. They were also teaching you how to evolve and mature and become something worth investing time and energy into. Because if these venues don't make money, they close. If these bookers don't make money, they go away. And then you get this decentralized, chaotic, just go to shows, start networking with other bands. Well, that's not actually how it works. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so much more going on in the actual music business 
And when you get to towns like Nashville and L.A., they have a legitimate industry set up to do all of these things that we just described. There's power structures. There's echelons you have to get through. There's dues you have to pay, venues you have to get to. And it's, it's a little easier when you have like an agent or representation or a good label back in the day that would really coach you through and show you like where you're at. My buddy Patrick, who used to run 93X back in the day, he says- I love Patrick. He helped us out a lot. He's one of my boys and he says, you know- I miss I'm, him. And he's, I talk to him all the time and he's kind of- I said hi. He's kind of helping me. He'll, he'll probably chime in fucking tonight, dude. Um, like literally live on this podcast, he might even drop Let's it. get him in. But he- uh, he always has this phrase like, well, I just want to make sure that you're keeping yourself right-sized. That's his big phrase, you know, and it's understanding where you are in the game, yeah. you know, and we lack that here in this town. That's what I'm really getting at, man, and we need to start working together if we're going to fix that vacuum, that missing yeah. entity where it's like, because it's completely decentralized. It's like the Wild West, and there's some people that are in on the in and they have the right people connected, but there's not enough people right now that have enough swagger to run around and grab young bands that could be good three years from now, five years from now, and just show them the ropes, get them into the teen center, get them into the Enigma center, get them into the garage, get them into these Wednesday nights at station four. Like I used to have to play. Oh yeah. I remember that. That's what's missing. So there's bands right now that still only draw 35 to 50 people and they think they deserve to play second or third on a, on a band, on a bill of four bands. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, dude, you're, you're not even an opening band. Like the opening band needs to draw a minimum of 50 people. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear that shit that that was 2004 or 2008 numbers. No, 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 no. There's more people. There's more people here than ever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's way less people here 15 years ago. So yeah. I don't want to hear that you can't draw 50 people. You have five people in your band. Each one of you needs to bring 10 people. Yeah. But our standards have been dropped because of this decentralization. What do you think about this idea? Do you think I'm completely off my rocker or do you think I'm onto something? No, I think you are. I, th I think that it's... Which one? Because <laughs> I just said, am I off my both, rocker or both. onto something? <laughs> no, I, we're both off our rockers. That's what the industry does to you. No, uh, I think that... I got to piss. I can keep hearing you though. Okay, you okay. keep going. I'll, go, I'll start my rant then, and then I'll piss after you. So, uh, I'm going to say that in my personal experience, the, the decentralization, it's just always been pre prevalent in this scene. It just, I've, I've tried to meet other people, meet bands, you go out and you see bands that have a little bit of a hype. They have a little bit of a something, something going behind them. They have a good show and you just want to integrate. And I don't know if it's people here or people in general, you know, because that's the weird thing is like all my buddies who are like from the West coast like to say like, well, that's just people here, man. We're all pissed off and we don't get enough vitamin D and like, we're not LA or Nashville. And we can't like everybody here is just like, a little more frustrated and doesn't want to like be a team player. I don't know if that's a cop out or what it is. I think it's just people in general, man. Like you, it's hard to get people excited. Um, I don't know. I, my strength has always been if I can get them in a fucking room and I'm about to start playing, you're fucked. 
because, because I'm going to make you get into it. Like there's, there's no, like that's the, it's not even an ego thing. I don't give a fuck about a sense of an ego really. It's more like I, I, I know the worth of the, the weight of the music that I'm uh, trying to carry. So like, I just always knew like, well, if I have a captivated audience, I'm going to fucking slay souls. And so I guess that's still the goal is like, all right, well. So how do we get people through the door? That's exactly, the question. Exactly. So we, okay. So I've heard this a lot and I agree with you. I can't even disagree with you. Not a thing, not a single thing you said. So over the last like 30, 40 podcasts that I've had with other musicians, this is something that keeps, keep, so we need to figure out how to make people want to come to our show. How do yeah. we create a culture in this town? Mm -hmm. And this literally starts with you and I. This literally yeah. starts with the venue owner down the street. This literally starts with the guys listening, including music fans. Yeah. How do we create a culture in this town where you know you can go out, name your night, whether it's a Tuesday or a Friday, whether it's a Wednesday or a Saturday. I don't give a fuck. Pick one night. We start with one night yeah. where every single night you can go out and see a great band in this town. Okay, well, every Friday night. I, let's, I make, think... let's make Friday night. Yeah, okay. Well, Let's like, make Saturday night. You see what I'm getting at? I, I like, think it's, it's like, like you talked about gatekeepers. I think that's a big part of it. And my experience was but like... But do you see where I'm going with this? I do, I do. Okay, okay. For, in my personal experience, my little come up of like things was like my band broke up when we were at the height of First Avenue and like the craze of the end of kind of the emo, MySpace, you know, Twitter era. And then... Then you had, you kind of had the Urban Outfitters, you know, kid era after that, where it was like, it was all about West Coast bands and like lo-fi, surf punk. Want a beer? Uh, sure. And, and that, that's cool. I love that shit. I actually just saw, you know, Waves and Together Pangea and all those bands. I love that West Coast shit. And that'll probably be an influence on what I do next. But, um, you know, now, now what we see is like the basement shows, uh, a lot of bands coming up around the U of M. And there's a whole scene in there. And to be honest, like, I have no fucking shame. I'm, like, in my 30s. I don't give a shit. I will go out to these fucking bands' shows that are, like, I know they're in their 20s. You know, you got so many bands, like, starting to get hype. Gully Boys and, like, you know, Inlu and all these, all these bands that kind of came up through, like, kind of the, the basement D kind of punk cassette kind of lo-fi scene uh, that are probably a little less than 10 years younger than me. Um, but I, I don't give a shit. I don't care about being the old guy at shows anymore. I'm like, dude, if people are playing cool shows, I'm going to go out. I'm going to shoot my shot. It's kind of like dating, which I hate, but like, I, I think you just got to go out there. You shoot your shot. And if you vibe with people, fucking go for it and try to integrate and have no shame. And that's something that I struggle with. Cause I like try really, I like, I am an extrovert by trait, but like, it's hard sometimes. You have to force yourself. It's a job. So are you kind of speaking from like the idea that, okay, you and I are both past 30. Mm -hmm. We're no longer the young, cute, hip kid. Yeah. And a lot of us in our age group are like, let's just, I'm just going to say it. Even if this is wrong, you guys can eat me alive. You can flame me in the comments. You can put whatever. DM me. I don't give a fuck. 
If I say this wrong, I apologize, but this is the only way I can think of it. We almost seem weird or creepy or embarrassed to yeah. try to like get back in with the young hip kids, right? Like, yeah, we feel like we need to just, game or whatever. Yeah, you know, fuck that. I, man. I don't think that's a good idea, man. I think there's a lot of kids that don't give a fuck, and I mean kids like twelve to fifteen year olds yeah. that just want to hear dope music. And so, like, yeah, guys that's our who age. I was. Exactly. I didn't give a fuck. I just wanted to hear the coolest, heaviest shit when yeah. I was that age. So, like, guys like you and I should probably humble ourselves and mm -hmm. go back to the yeah. garage. Like, because that's... Oh, if I you really can gain want to. A, yeah. If you can gain a fucking 14-year-old as a real fan, a real fan... Although told that, other fucking friends, and that is a fan, a fan for, for life, life though. Yeah. Yes, thank you. See again, you finished my yeah. sentence, bro. It's a fan for life. They That's care. a they're not real fan. Yet. And they're they also been not life. And they're also <laughs> not there just to be cool. Yeah. Like yeah, they might it's be there. Pure. To, it's they pure. Might be and it's there selfless. To be cool. That might be the other entirely selfless, selfless act that you were talking about. Is a kid who goes to a show and has a great time and buys the merch. To me, that's that's almost like the pure selflessness because <laughs> it's like they are there just just to see something cool and pure. Right. They're not and, buying your merch for uh, for collector yeah. value. They're not trying to be yeah. a part of the. They're the, just like the holy vibe. shit! I just saw a band I liked, and that is part of the spirit. Yeah, and they're of, young enough to where they don't even have a sense of self necessarily. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something that you can capture in like. And that's why bands like Blink-182 or whatever can kind of live forever is because... You're right. No, you're right. They, being a they fan, encapsulate youth and but being a fan, naivety, you know? You're right, though, because being a fan in its nature is a selfless act. Because when you're a, yeah. when you're a child and you become a fan of fucking... Mm -hmm. uh, for the kids, when you become a fan of LeBron James yeah. or fucking whoever the fuck, name your athlete, right? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes. You're not doing it because it makes you feel good. Like, that's not your motivation there. You yeah. just love that. And you just yeah. do. You're just like, I'm a fan of that guy. Yeah. I love Patrick Mahomes. I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. I love whoever. And like, it's sad that people grow. Like, it's not like they grow out of it. I hope they don't. But, like, that's what I've seen is, like, I'm in my early 30s now. And, like, you start to see those people around you where it's, like, and I'm all for, like, getting married, having kids. Like, I want that, too. But, like. I don't know, they, they start to lose this sense of who they were and what they loved back then, and they just forget about it. It's like fucking Peter Pan growing up or some shit, you know? There's uh, an innocence of the youth that, um, unfortunately, in some people, just kind of goes away, and I don't like it. I would like to think that I'm going to keep, you know, growing and maturing in life, but I can't lose that kid that loved that show or bought that album and it like really uh cha it changed my life you know and i i hope that kids never grow out of that never you know i don't know i don't think they can i think it's yeah it's imprinted it's one of us. the reasons yeah. i don't believe in add because they'll no. they'll sit here they'll sit here and tell your kid that he has ADD and he can't pay attention to anything more than a certain amount of sections because there's there's like, something well, why wrong. Why don't you spice it up? There's something wrong with him. Be a little more interesting there. But that kid will come Mrs. home. Beatrice. But that kid will come <laughs> home and watch Toy Story or Buzz and Lightyear and be able to quote the whole thing. That's me. And and he'll be able to watch <laughs> it for eight consecutive hours. Yeah, like yeah. that. It, it, no. Yeah. 
they don't have ADD, there's two things happening. You're fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Number two, no one has taught that kid how to, like, manage the boredom. Yeah. Like, it's hard. That's life. That's Being been bored my, is yeah. life. Like, yeah. even waiting for a show. Okay? Like, mm -hmm. like here's, here's, how, here's how a lot of musicians become drug addicts. There's two things that happen. Patience. They're fucking bored before a show. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Me. Okay. <laughs> or they can't calm down after a show. Oh, yeah. And I've seen people like that. And I'm very fortunate to not have whatever bug that is. Because usually, I think I've, I've just been blessed with, like, like, my mom was, like, the performer. Like, she was, like, this, like, unbelievable ball of energy. And my dad was, like, this, like, cool, cute, talented guitar player, cool-ass dude. So they, they literally make a they, perfect couple. Well, they, well, they, well, they, they, I, they made a perfect me. They balanced each other, Because, yeah, they, they never got married or, like, stayed together or anything. But, like... But, no, that gravity but, yeah, always works. I needed those two lines of the personality in, in retrospect to like be who I am. And it's, it's, you described me and I my wife inverted. Manage it, you know, you described me and my wife inverted. I'm the ball of energy. She's the cool, calm and collected. And that's rad. And you know, uh, it's also infuriating because sometimes I need be. her to get fired up and she's like, I know. I know. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard because, um, dude, I was, I met this girl. It's and also like, what makes her elite. You know what I mean? It makes her absolutely the dopest shit on earth. But I, it also, there's moments where it infuriates me because I'm like, will you have a little fucking energy? Like, come on. Yeah, like, when you get into it, and that's like, yeah, my dad's very like, ah, we're just bumming around, you know? And my mom's like, get excited about your son, you know? And so, like, <laughs> So it's funny. I have both of that raging in me, and I guess managing that is is just one of those things about being human. But I was I was with this girl for almost a decade, and like that was the whole thing. Was like I think I liked it because she gave me some more structure, and I th I thought that was cool because you're kind of like opposites do attract, you know. And she was very like regimented, and I was very like I I. I have a plan, but uh, it's a very crazy, convoluted Tarantino movie of a plan, you know, and people can't always see that. And that's what I've always struggled with, with people in general. Getting people to like, buy into your vision? Well, just like... Or I, even just like I don't indulge know. I just, I just, yeah, I, I'm just like, you gotta get up every day and like just try to do things and make shit happen. Oh, I see. And I think that like people just have a very hard time seeing the longevity of that and i just always kind of have i'm like well if i can get us this good show that'll be rad okay and then that'll lead to this and like it's all been a process for me and maybe that's where i've lost people and friends and relationships along the way is like i i guess just they just you know it's like you were saying like we're programmed here especially in the midwest to think that there's like one way of doing things you're supposed to like do this and like have this amount of money or have these kids by this time or like do this, you know, like, and it's, it's not, it's not that linear, you know, I just feel like it's like, dude. But we also have no direction. That's the biggest yeah. problem is we have no industry leadership here anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not going to go into this one, but the nuts and bolts of it is our, the, all the headliners and all the, the good, solid mentors and booking agents, all 
every single one of them broke up or retired within a calendar year. Yeah. And it threw people like me and my bands into headlining positions when we had no business being there. Yeah. And we, some of us kind of figured out how to do a lot, but it's kind of the same way they forgot how to build the pyramids, Yeah, you know, or like we kind of forgot how to get to the moon, you know, Tesla or not Tesla, uh, Elon Musk has a meme going around like when knowledge isn't preserved and passed on, it gets forgotten, Yeah, you know, and we take knowledge and information for granted deeply like we really do this man and and i i've seen exactly what he's talking about and he's using the pyramids as his metaphor for going to the moon Mm -hmm. both of those things are a metaphor for literally what happened in the minneapolis music industry Mm. like you had all of these people who knew what was happening disappear in a very short period of time almost like you know you hear about the purging of the intellectuals you know and you hear about these these moments in history, the burning of libraries, where generations worth of knowledge is gone within a very short period That's of so time, fucked. and it it creates a vacuum of fucking chaos. And it doesn't mean violence and disruption and disorder, but it often creates <laughs> people people and bands to bring it back to the music industry specifically. Wanderers, like yeah. a lot of a lot of us as musicians became wanderers and stumbled into other areas through our own personal networks because we lost that industry network where it was just like, yeah, I, I know dozens and dozens of people that raised children and sent them to college being professional musicians right here in Minneapolis. And that's fantastic. And they don't exist anymore though. No, it's hard. I, for me, I grew up in a very weird generation where, like, that wasn't even viewed as possible anymore. And what your dad's generation it was, it was, and it was that weird segue generation where it's like, well, and you can still do this you, in Nashville, you can still do this in LA, you can still do this in New York, and not all of those towns are bigger than us. Two of them are, one of them isn't. Yeah, you can still do this in Houston. You can still do this in, I think, Dallas. Even which doesn't Austin, even yeah. which doesn't even have a good music scene, like compared to Minneapolis, the musicians, the caliber, the talent, the songwriting, the fucking the producers, the oh my god, dude! But the, but that's the thing is like how don't have shit on us but, other than Nashville, other than Nashville. Yeah, but how can like that's the thing is like it how can they get there? So like, let's figure. Let's start figuring. And that's that out. the thing is like we 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 build up this crop of bands every year with the current and the best new bands, and like yeah, a few come out every once in a while, but like we also embrace the hip hop scene, so that kind of gets looped into the best new bands, which in my opinion waters it down because that's not a fucking band; it's a hip hop artist. But I agree, unless he yeah. has a band. Yeah, well, exactly. And even then, you're blurring the line. Like, like, uh, well, but, well, just let's hold on. Let's be respectful to that industry. So there are groups that do that, right? So you had like Doom Tree, that's a band. You have Shredders, which is an extension of Doom Tree, that's definitely a band. Okay. Um, like the old Fugees, that was a band. There are hip hop artists that out there a, that have, that have a bands, band. but okay. it's rare. However, okay. they're usually the dopest motherfuckers around. Like, when you get a real band in hip-hop, it takes hip-hop to an extremely different level. 
Like okay, it's, I, it's, I can it, agree with that it, sentiment. But back to your point. But back to your point. But yeah, I, I just, just don't want to be disrespectful and condescending to you I about because that like as someone it can who, be dope. Uh, I had a, a weird position of like in my late teens, uh, getting going up like this, and then I hit literally like twenty twenty one years old, and then I'm in this different band that tries for pretty much ten years on the Minneapolis music scene to try to get somewhere, and we were just shut out everywhere and we were delivering numbers we were selling out shows we were bringing tickets in we were playing with the right bands and we were what bringing year, in bands from what sh- year was this uh let's see i was in the modern era from like our first show was 12 21 12 modern era okay so 2012 the, okay yeah our 10 okay years so up. so here's and i'm not i'm not fucking with you i'm not trying to give you shit i'm trying to really with you take a journey and do at least start a conversation for the next year like that's yeah. what i'm really getting at is for like in year three of this podcast i'd like to start moving from identifying problems to start exploring solutions, solutions. Um, so so so, so by the way have we played the other video i really do have to pee uh let's play that video and let's then let's come video. back okay uh main cam media number two you want to do some shots <laughs>
Uh, but yeah, no, dude, that's just dope, dude. You guys are really good. You guys are really good. And uh, just wait till you see the new line. Anybody who knows me from the tyrants, they know exactly why I think you guys are good. Right. They anybody who knows me from my time in the tyrants, they already know why I think you guys are good. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, Jared would like that. Because yeah, right. here's the thing, man. Is I say this a lot. You may not like it. But you're n- when I have bands on this podcast, if I say you're good, people can trust that I think you're good. I'm not mm-hmm. blowing smoke. I'm not kissing yeah. ass. And I'll even say, look, look, man, you may not like this. That's personal taste shit. Yeah. But you're not going to tell me that this isn't a good band. I know good musicians. I know good bands. And I'm not willing to argue about this. Mm-hmm. When I declare it is what it is, like I am the decider. <laughs> like if you're a good band, you're a good band. Like, you're never going to hear me say somebody's a, God, you guys are a really fucking good band, and they suck. Like, no, you may not like them, but they're fucking dope, dude. These guys are fucking dope, man. Like, we're not going to have that argument. (laughs) We're we're just not doing it. But yeah, dude, I can can totally see it now, dude. I can totally see it. It, it, It just keeps making more and more sense. But uh, we were talking, what were we talking about right before you went to go piss? I said, and then we'll come back to it. There's a few people I think watching. We were, I think we were kind of talking about the the local oh, solutions. scene, the, the, the problems, the solutions. See, yeah. yeah, for me, it's like, like for instance, like, yeah, I got my old band back, like, and then things kind of fell apart, and I got this new lineup, and, like, we're trying to come back right now. So, like, we got this video premiere in tonight. We went out and did this David Bowie cover and some other singles in L.A. And, you know, kind of came back and, like, revisited things. And now it's like, okay, now I can start kind of booking shows again because, like, it's loosened up a little bit with COVID. But, um, you know, now, for instance, uh, by the way, we're playing uh, Dayblock Brewing on Saturday, July 9th. Uh, promo. But, uh, nice. but yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Hold on. Let's switch <laughs> camera. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's switch cams. Do it again. Saturday, July 9th. Wait, 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 wait. Dayblock Day Brewing. There you go. To start over. Saturday, 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 July 9th, we're playing at Dayblock in Minneapolis. Soviet machines, rock and roll. Get right in. Perfect. Dude, I'm <laughs> clipping that shit. Clip that, clip that, bitches. Here, look, YouTube gave us the option. I don't know if it's because we finally, like. Clip it. I don't know if we became Stamp somebody. Stamp it. Clip it. Right there. You Stamp guys, it good. Right here. All you guys who are subscribers and viewers, you can go right here. And there's a little scissors above the live chat. You little hit that little click oh, button the right there. Bam. And you can clip shit for us now, you guys. Come on. Start clipping shit. Don't make me do it during the podcast. Don't make me do it. Great clips. Uh, no, okay. So, so thank you for the reminder to get us back on track. Okay. So, yes, this is exactly what I'm saying. So, we've already identified one thing we definitely need to do better is get people out to shows, right? So as it's hard as it's music than fans, ever. though, as music fans start going to shows that we've talked about this for a while, that's definitely step one. 
So, yeah. so there's people easy, there. Yeah. There's people there. When people show up, it becomes an event that makes more people want to come. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Number two, or one A, one B, whatever. We as bands need to start creating these these shows as more of an event instead of just we're playing a show. Please come. Like really start working for it again. Let's start working your own fucking phone numbers. Like start calling yeah. people and getting them to come out. And that's kind of what we've always done is trying to f- integrate ways of doing that. I mean, we live in like I came up, for instance, during like the the end of the MySpace era, and then we saw yep. Facebook come through. We saw Twitter come through. We saw Instagram come through, and now we've got TikTok, and now we've got kids. So who are 10 years younger than me on TikTok making tens of millions of dollars doing shit that we did with our video cameras trying to emulate jackass 15 years exactly. ago. Exactly. So so let's back up, right? So you mentioned it's 2012-ish. You're mm-hmm. selling out shows, you're you're drawing big crowds and nobody knows who we are. You're not doing anything. We so, couldn't get anywhere in town. So we back were selling then, though, out venues, but we couldn't get on the radio. So back then, it's the inverted problem of what we're dealing with now. You yeah. were drawing. We clouds. thought we could outwork the system. You were drawing crowds, but you didn't have a good enough online presence, right? Because no. none of us really understood that shit back then. We didn't really yeah. know what we were doing. It was hard, right? And in fact, not you, probably, maybe you. I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue just for the sake of patronizing people. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's a vibe I'm on tonight. I'm going to just keep lumping you and me together because we're similar ages. I feel like you may have had... I feel like you might have had more success in the industry than me. I eventually became a jobber. So I, I did some really big shit that I can't still technically talk about because of NDAs. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, play, I did I some you. cool shit. But I, I signed didn't, a couple of those myself. Right? Like, so you kind of know what I'm talking about. Like, and some of these fucking record labels are just dicks about that shit. And it's like, I feel fuck, that. man. I, I feel yeah, that. it's just not worth it. But I, I, fucking know, I, I fucking know what I'm talking about is the real point. That's what I'm mm-hmm. really getting at is like. But I still feel like you kind of technically had more success than I did um, as Early like on. as like the artist, like where where people were coming out to see your songs you wrote. That's what I mean. Right. And I'm not saying that to suck your dick. Fair, I'm saying fair, that to fair. set a precedence. Right. OK. So I keep lumping you and me together. So I'm going to keep doing that. I feel like because we're in the same generation, our generation, we didn't adapt well to the new version of the way to market things online. So yeah. when the record labels fell and their value and what they provided, when all that disappeared, guys like you and I were kind of like, fuck, man, what do we do now? And we're still kind of trying to figure it out. Whereas these kids, they jump online, they learn this shit from seven, eight years old, and they're masters by high school, and they're yeah. not even very good, some of them, and they're making money. And then you have ones that are really fucking talented, like, like Charlie Puth. Um, there's a few of these people that I follow on TikTok and, and um, on Instagram, and they are top notch. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is a lot of them outside of the Charlie Puths haven't actually played real shows. They haven't actually paid their dues on the road. They're not real musicians yet. They might be mm-hmm. real songwriters. They might be elite level producers, but they're not really like... They haven't, they don't have that fucking grit on them, that fucking seasoning, that, that real, like, oh, this guy's legit. Like we can get in a room and like, we can switch genres and we can jam. Like, like I know guys, I know guys in this town that I've been in bands with that can't jam. They're like, I don't, I don't jam. Mm. Like, bro, that's, that's, that's a guitar player said that. 
My own guitar like, player said that. You better he, fucking learn. One of, my, one of the greatest songwriters I've ever had the pleasure of working with, Jeremy Blake. Been on this podcast dozens of times, I feel like. Not literally, but feels like it. Um, still to this day, he's like, I'm not a jammer. One of the best songwriters I've ever known in my life. Not for, a jammer. For me, I think that like... Oh, excuse me. I think that like, I resisted jamming because for me it was like the anti-punk rock as a kid it was like i don't want to fucking be fish you know like i that was so anti that like i thought that was boring as shit grateful dead made no sense to me and i just like i was just no i don't do 10 minute fucking like wank off solos but then i figured out what jamming really was was like the freedom to just try to pick a note or a key or a riff or something See, for me, I, I've learned that jamming at its purest form for me, not for anybody else, is if I can get in a room with at least a drummer and me with like a loud like electric guitar, I will probably, there's like a good 70-80% chance, I will make something that will, something will come out of my brain that will later be able to become a, something that can stand on its own like a song. Or a riff or something. So I've always embraced that unknown because I know that I'm that type of creator. Uh, so for me, jamming is an opportunity to say, holy shit, th this could be my next song. Something that would have not happened. I remember I had a, like, I, I bring up this fucking girl that I was with for a long time. That's exactly what it is for me. Is, Keep going though. Is, is, is that I was with this girl and I think once she told me, well, you have a demo rig at home. You have a computer. You can jam at home. Why do you need to be with a drummer right now? And I said, honey, it's because there's something that's going to come out of that that is just, I can't fake that. I can't strap on headphones and, and do a fake drummer and write that riff. I, there's just something about being there with another human being and... And it being jargon for a little bit, and then you lock into something, and whether or not that becomes your drummer or you become a band or that becomes a song, for me, that's how I wrote songs, really, was like taking those little moments, going home, and obsessing over them with my demo rig. I never wrote a That's demo super from scratch. Mine's almost the opposite, right? So like okay. I'll obsess over an idea, I'll get one idea. Like, I'll have a riff, and I'll obsess over that riff, and I'll get that riff. Just something you fucking, play at home, yeah. I'll get that one riff just fucking perfect. Okay. And then immediately, I don't know what to do next as a musician. I've, I've never known, right? Every single time I get the next idea, whether it's even involved with that riff directly. So what, I mean, what do I mean directly? I mean, like, let's say I accidentally wrote a chorus riff. And I'm obsessing, yeah. and, and now I have the perfect chorus riff. What I mean by not directly is it's not necessarily what comes out of the chorus or what leads into the chorus. It's just a yeah. riff, right? Maybe I have a second one of those, right? And that just kind of happens randomly, whatever. So now I have these two ideas where I'm like, I can kind of identify these could technically go together. Even if they're not in the right key together, I can always move one around yeah. and kind of, okay, now we have like, something here maybe i have a verse and a chorus or maybe mm -hmm. i have like a main riff and a verse or whatever doesn't mm -hmm. matter 
I literally, every time I come up with a good idea, it's because I just play the thing I know that's perfect, and then I just wing it coming out of it. Yeah. And it, I just riff. I just jam. You know, and all fucking sometimes it's over a drum loop. Sometimes yeah. it's me just on an acoustic guitar, that one usually specifically. And that's when I come up with the actual ideas that work. It's always me jamming, whether it's by myself or with other musicians. Because I'm like, okay. well, fuck, I know this works. Let's see what doesn't work. Let's see what does. And let's just keep winging it. Because I don't know enough about music theory to like oh, well, this is in an A minor. Let's go to a meh, meh, meh. I don't fucking know that shit, dude. I'm just trying to figure out what vibes, dude. Like, what sounds good. Like, because that's where the art kicks in. If it's just about jumping into the right key, man, I mean, a computer can do that, dude. Yeah. Now now we have AI building chord progressions. That's not art. That's, That's an algorithm. That's, that's pop music. Yeah. You know, and, and we want to, as real artists, as real musicians, we want to create trends. We want to create sounds. We want to create an idea. We don't want to mm-hmm. follow a trend or follow an idea, you know, like, I don't know. Am I nuts? I don't think I'm nuts. No, I don't think so. I think I'm fucking beating the shit out of the right horse right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's play this other video you got. It just debuted at 8 p.m. Yeah, it's called fucking, it's 846 right now. We'll fucking play this video, and then we'll fucking come back and wrap this up. It should be up. Let's go fucking. Check it out. Let's go to the meow, meow, meow. The meow, meow, meow. And then, uh, yeah, we'll wrap this up. I I, want to play something for you, because I think you're going to like it. Yeah. 
Johnny looks up at the stars. Johnny comes his hair, and Johnny wants pussy and cars. Johnny's in America. Johnny's in America. I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't help it. I'm afraid I can't. I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't help it. I'm afraid I can't. I'm afraid of Yeah, you should be afraid of Americans because we're some bad motherfuckers. <laughs> That's right, baby. I genuinely like that better than the David Bowie version. Thank you, dude. I appreciate you, Jack. Appreciate you. You're you're an amazing human being. I vibe I with you. I vibe me. with you yeah. super hard, man. This was a great Definitely time. I got a good thing going on. What is uh? What's your what's your show coming up? It's July what? Saturday, July 9th. We're playing at Dayblock Brewing in Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, we got a whole we got a whole new thing going on. And I don't think you need to go to a website. You guys could probably just show up to that show. So you Day can Block just, you can show up to that one. Day Block you Brewing, should. Minneapolis, Minnesota. In fact, yes. hold on. Yes. No, this is Invictus Brewing. Never mind. So Day brewers. Block Brewing. Day Block. I thought I had a fucking thing for it. Probably I was like, wait a minute. Do somewhere. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Enough. I think I just got an invite to this. No, it's not. That. <laughs> it's not that. It was a buy one get one for a different brewery. <laughs> Somebody gave me a coupon. Oh, you'll get the online. Somebody invite. gave me a coupon. Uh, <laughs> Day Block Brewing, July Saturday, July what? Ninth. And who are you playing with? We are playing with uh, a band called Absinthe that is on. Dirty Laundry Records, their uh, local label. And I believe we are playing with... Uh, I, I'm not sure who the other opener is. It's TBD, to be determined. Because we are trying, we're trying to do this thing where we play with some new uh, bands. Because we haven't done that in years. So we're like, you know what? We want to find the, the other bands out there, wherever they are, that are, that are also doing stuff that are releasing records or having fun. And I think that's like we were saying is an important part of it because it's, it's just too easy to get into like a, like a, a cycle of like, well, we, we only play with like these two bands. Mm -hmm. Cause like those are our little scene or whatever. Well, we don't have a fucking scene. 
which is kind of rad because we have zero rules. We have zero like politics behind this shit of like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to figure out who to play with. We're going to try it for some shows. And if it works, it works. If they want us to play with them again, they will. If it doesn't, who cares? There's, like you said, there's, there's so many bands that why not? Maybe that's the missing piece of the puzzle that we never really had was like, I think in the past, like, we went out to all these shows and venues and tried to dissect it all. But, like, there's so much going on where it's like, you know what? Just meet some bands or hear about them through a friend. Refer them to a show. If it doesn't go okay or you don't vibe, then fuck it. If it does, then that'll keep being a relationship. It's like, okay, then that band will probably ask you to do it to do something down the line. And it'll surprise you. And that's the weird thing about life is, is like, every time I, like, get, like, ugh, it's all the same shit, that's the moments when I wake up and, like, somebody calls me out of the blue and, like, asks me to do something that I didn't think I was going to do today or whenever. And that's what's rad. That's, that's kind of what I wake up for at this point in my 30s. It's well, like, that's kind of what we're trying to do here, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, uh, like honestly, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not trying like to be, like... you hit me up, like, and just through a friend kind of thing. And, like, this was literally, like, a 48 hours notice kind of thing. A little bit more than that, but still. Yeah, yeah. But still. And just, like... I think I hit you up on Monday or Tuesday, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But close enough. I mean, and that's just how it happens sometimes. It's, like, a buddy knew somebody, and then he does this thing. Oh, and that's rad. Okay, so we can link up on this. Oh, and by the way, he's got this going on. And then I got this going on. And, like, that's... And I don't know. I don't. I, I just. I guess that's just what, how it goes in life. Is just like. I mean, it's definitely it's a series one foot, of meeting people, and you know, <laughs> it's definitely one foot in front of the other. Yeah. That's the easiest way to start, but you need to have a path to walk down, and that's what I want us to start doing: yeah. is building a path together yeah. to where not only we can make it and prosper, but it's going to be significantly not easier, but clearer, clearer. For guys behind us and younger yeah. than us. So they understand the path. And we have a lot to learn from them. Because yeah. they understand the technology and yeah. the fucking media. And they understand this whole thing. So we need to start listening to them. But then we need to pass Agreed. down our wisdom from being on stage. From being on the road. From being in the real world. From being in the real industry. Like yeah. literally mentoring these people. These kids. To be good people. And they can teach us how to market our music. Like it's again, it's not selfless. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Absolutely. And there's too many of us that look down on them or are jaded or jealous of them because they're fucking young and yeah. they're blowing up on Instagram, <laughs> yeah. but they won't, they won't long-term make it in the music industry because they still don't know what we know and they're not going to get the same way. Like you and I had the luxury of fucking up. Yeah. Fucking they don't get young, that. Yeah. They already have big crowds. Mm -hmm. so when they show up to a show and bomb they're done their yeah. reputations are ruined <laughs> yeah we didn't have that pressure yeah we were like we don't give a shit yeah. so we can w there's shit we can teach them and there's yeah. shit they can teach us and there's, it's there's, again the yeah. rising tide raises all ships dude there, there's a patience and a longevity to it that i think for me has always been like i'm gonna get up tomorrow and something cool is probably gonna happen if i you know put the right feelers in the right areas and that's where i'm like okay now i have a thing again and now i can hit up old bands new bands friends of bands friends of friends and like all of that little shit and it's entirely selfish but i like it because it, it allows us to integrate with people 
first and foremost, which is like the important part of the human experience, and share what we have and learn from what they have. It's mutually, it's like you said, it's mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best, healthiest way to look at it. The rising tide yeah. raises all ships, yeah, man. Yeah. Like when you do it's better, like, I do better. Yeah. If, if you got a thing going on and you invite me to do this thing and I share what I got going on and we integrate, which is exactly what this has been, uh, that's just, that's just how it goes, I think, in life. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's probably uh, easiest to just think of it that way you know where can people follow your band directly what's uh, the easiest way for them to follow your band so they could stay updated on oh shit gosh. you guys got okay. going on so you, you can follow the soviet machines on and we have spotify Bandcamp. uh i believe we're on facebook instagram's a good one um we are in process of making a tiktok and figuring out the website side of things but right now Bandcamp's a really good website hit up my boy scott he's one of the sponsors of the podcast Oh, okay. I got to like it. You can use my discount code and everything. Right? Oh, okay. Like, just because you're a buddy doesn't mean you Ooh. don't get to use a discount code. All right. He'll do the hosting. He'll do the fucking design. He'll oh, do everything. All right. Like, literally, you can go simple and cheap, or you can go fucking, like, you want to spend 10 grand and fucking quit your jobs. Like, he can do that. Like, <laughs> everything you want to do. He's the one who hosts my website, which, honestly, the reason my website sucks is because it's me. Because I don't have enough... That's why I don't promote my website, because I, I, it's just the podcast right now. Like, I still mm. need the music to pop, and then I got one other thing I'm trying to launch. Mm. And, then, and then I'm going to just push everything to the yeah, website, because yeah. it'll be worth going to. But you guys are like a real band. You got real content and fucking... I suppose. And I, I guess I forget that sometimes where it's like, well, to me, this is like my high school punk band that like got signed later in our 30s. And also, it's, it's a funny thing. I didn't tell you. So I, I told you a little bit. Like I, I grew up like acting and stuff. A little bit. I've been doing. I mean, that we flirted. As, we as, flirted with those well. conversations. There was and, just so much to get into. You know? Of course. And I've been doing that the last uh, year and a half, um, even locally. You know, because I grew up like acting in like L.A. and stuff, and kind of was going down that route until the band got signed. And um, so it's it's funny. I got this role. Hopefully, I'll get it. I'm doing a, a, a audition tape for it, but like. It's about this like punk band that like was together in like their teens and twenties and like now they're in like their late twenties, early thirties, and they like get this like random like hit, like some song hits or like they get this like random chance like next in life or whatever. And so it's all about like their like dramatic struggle and everything and like I've read a couple of the scenes and it's like the dude, you know, like kinda like talking with his girlfriend and stuff and all his doubts and like the dude, like the character that I'm like auditioning for, is like it feels a lot like it, sure. me, you know. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I need this fucking role. <laughs> um, uh, so I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know. Overall, well, life is just again, it's just fun and weird and like you know what? Like, I only have a f we all of us have this like finite amount of time on Earth. So it's like, I could either c totally conform, like like most people in this state in this region do. Because it's what's ingrained in us. I can't knock it. It's like, and I want those things too. Like, I struggled for 10 years with like, well, I've done a lot in my industry and I like what I'm doing, but like, is is somebody going to be able to like accept me for like who, who I am or whatever? And and that was the hard struggle of like, like meeting a Midwestern girl falling in love and like, I'm just like wondering if like you can provide and it's just like, dude, no, we'll be fine. Like I'm an entitled only child from fucking the Midwest. Like we'll be just fine. <laughs> like I'm not, I'd like, I don't even give it like, 
I totally like it, it's the truth, you know. It's like I if I were have to have a kid tomorrow, I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I do want that. And it's hard to wrap your head around both because everybody that gives advice to you is like well, you know, you have this unique opportunity, like you have no baggage, like now you're in your early 30s and you're in the prime of your life and you should just go out to like Nashville or LA, which has been like mentioned to me before. And like, I just don't think we actually need to leave anymore. That's what's frustrating me, right? Like, like, why can't we want to, but why can't we travel to to Nashville, do some cool shit and then come back the people why, that I record can, some music, send it back. Like, why do why we have to, to leave? Why do we have to abandon our fucking city to, why, to make money in the music industry? People, it's infuriating to me. I agree. Do you have an answer? Because I'm losing my fucking it's mind because, on this. At least for, in my experience, is the people that I've tried to, like, literally, I've, I've been in bands in the Twin Cities my entire life. The, the people that I've been in bands with, as committed as they seem, They'll, they'll push to the level of like trying to be a high level local band, but as soon as you mention something like, hey, we have to go drive 24 hours to LA to go play a show for no money, um, there, there's just something that wigs them out about that. Yeah, like, oh, I'll get fired from my job as yeah. being a butcher. The well, job ex- I fucking hate to do and I'm miserable exactly. at. And the and one I, I complain was about. I built to like be like, well, I don't have a fucking corporate job. I didn't want to like do the college experience. I didn't want to like sell my soul to go work at a fucking bank. And like, I, I guess I just, I've always done fine doing all the jobs that I do. I have m- more money than most people I know. I, I don't like how people come down on musicians like we're all broke pieces of shit. That's bullshit, by the way. It's a fucking societal norm that is bullshit. And there's too many of us that set that up in the beginning. Well, I'm not in it for the money. Well, that's fine, but you just set a fucking message to the world that I don't need to pay you now. I, I read a thing, or I, I saw a thing on Instagram the other day. Where this dude is like, your brain is a supercomputer. So literally anything that you tell yourself is a program of what, uh, what your reality is. So you are, it's that whole like, you are your reality. It's literally true when it comes to your brain and what message you send. So it's like the self-talk. It's, it, it's true. It's like if you say, I suck it at fucking uh, directions. Like I told myself that today. And I had a harder time getting the directions over here because it was on a handwritten map. My phone was dead. Like, and I was just like. You still ended up literally in front of my house. You were just looking on the wrong. You, your head was I, turned the wrong way. But that's you know it. what? But that's, I wanted it. You still I was got like, there. You still got, got there, dude. You just almost ran into people, the fucking, the gangbanger house across the street. Dude. And some people, <laughs> there, was, there was literally a moment of like feeling like, I don't, like I was like literally like I didn't want to fail. It wasn't just like that fear of failure. It was like, I was like, I, I'm going to do everything in my power to show up because I don't want to was cancel beautiful. this. The timing was beautiful because I literally walked out. It's a want. you know. And I, had, I happened to see some random white dude with a smile on his face <laughs> walking down the street in the middle yeah. of the hood. And I, I just went, Jack? Yeah. And you turned your head and I was yeah, like, got is, him. Yeah. Got him. Okay, good, 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 good. Well, listen, man, let's wrap this up, dude. Uh, let's, let's fucking have another beer. We'll fucking keep hanging out and shit, but let's wrap the podcast okay, up. Okay. Um, remind people where they can follow you and when your next show is. Okay. So Saturday, July 9th, we're playing at Dayblock Brewery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are also playing Panaprog Days in Lakeville, July 8th, I believe. Uh, 
currently uh, booking uh, touring, but uh, hopefully this video that just dropped will help with that. Um, I'm sure it will. Uh, I, I hope so. Uh, yeah, the Soviet machines were all over the internet. Flawless ones, Spotify, Bandcamp. You can buy merch stuff. We have uh, a vinyl of our record that is all over Best Buy, Walmart, all that kind of stuff. Sold out the first run. Second run is up. So, yeah, go get... Uh, if you like Wax, it's on there. If you do Spotify, go on there. Um, yeah, we're a rock and roll band. We got That's shit sick, coming up. Um, stay tuned. I'm, I'm <laughs> so stoked machines. for you guys. I'm stoked for you, man. I, 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 I feel it in the air. There's good things coming for you guys. Appreciate you guys liking, uh, watching, subscribing, all that shit. You guys know what the deal is, man. Keep doing that. Hit the red button. It's free. Help us get to that first thousand subscribers on YouTube. We, we're killing it on audio. We're like fucking close to 10,000 subscribers across the world oh, on audio. Yeah. Um, but dude, we are just fucking struggling on YouTube. So fucking come over to YouTube, hit that goddamn red button. And fucking show us some love. It's like free. This. It's free. And get then, yeah, let's see you at the shows, man. I'm going to try to make it out to one of these, preferably yes. the one at Dayblock, man. All right, love you guys. And we're fucking, we're going to bounce out of here, man. All right, we, we got Rock some shit roll. to talk about off the podcast, you little sluts. Love you guys. I love you. <laughs>